All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. You're listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. My name is James Payne, and I am sitting here with Northern Hunter co-founder Mariah Humphreys. Howdy. How's it going? And uh, Dalton Gray is out in the field currently. He won't be joining us for this episode. He's out helping people kill bears. So we've talked about it quite a bit on the show. Um both brown bear and baiting and he's down there helping people fulfill their dreams so i wish him the best of luck and uh i was talking to him actually last night and uh sounds like they've had some success down there uh strange weather i guess on the coast this year so hopefully that clears up for them but kind of seems like strange weather everywhere this year it really has been it's this bait season's been so weird just with how late the breakup was Mm -hmm. and trying to get down in there i mean even in may i mean mid-may there's still snow on the trails Right, it's like, funny because we were talking about how much warmer the winter was and we expected yeah. this early breakup. Because I remember baiting with my dad when I was young and stuff. And mm-hmm. then now even when, when I was a teenager, and it seems like the breakups were later. Yeah. And bears were coming in later. And that's just kind of what you expected. And uh, and then this year, I kind of expected what we'd been getting the last several years. And Yeah. Well, and it's, I don't know if it just goes in a cycle or what. Because I know, I mean, back in 2020, I think I was in the woods in like mid, like not past mid-April. Like, right. I mean, the season opens April 15th. I think I was in the woods probably the 20th. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's a... And there was uh, enough snow gone, you could get in there. Yeah. I and mean, there was still a little bit hanging around, but I could still ride the trail and everything. And then last year, I tried getting in before May, and I think I got my wheeler stuck twice in snow. Right. <laughs> One time, my buddy had to actually... He has a big, like, 1,000cc uh, Can-Am, and I've just got my little 500 uh, King Quad. He had to actually like butt up to the behind my wheeler and push me out of the, out of the trail. Yeah, I was looking at your king but, quad mm-hmm. uh, in your truck on the way in here. Yeah, um, I think it looks like it got some decent ground clearance. It does. So the thing I like about king quads is they did the um, uh, they five hundred has the exact same frame as the seven fifty, so it's still a full size, okay. just with a little bit lighter motor and it's still plenty of power. Five hundred cc. Yeah, I'm plenty. sure. But uh, that's a good way to to introduce the topic for this one. Is we. This episode is going to be all about wheelers and yeah. wheeler maintenance and riding and trails and getting out there. We've talked a lot about bear baiting in the last couple of weeks. Hopefully we didn't uh, beat that horse too bad to death, but uh, we really felt like there was a lack of information out there in the world. So mm-hmm. uh, we just kind of presented the full blown, <laughs> right. full spectrum of information. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that and learned some things. So, but we're going to move on to actually 
accessing areas, both this time of year and in the future. Um, but before we get into that, a uh, couple updates. I don't know if anybody, by the time this has come out, will have realized it, uh, but we've been running into some social media issues mm-hmm. um, with the meta platform, specifically Instagram and Facebook, where they have begun to essentially shadow ban us, uh, censor us. We're not showing up on searches. We're not showing up in right. the real section. We're not showing up on, uh, you know, suggested platforms, things like that. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's kind of odd that this happened right after the episode dropped with Brian, where he was talking about the struggles he's gone through with censorship on a lot right. of these platforms and things. But it's basically just because of hunting pictures that we've posted and things like that. And, uh, there was a photo of your rifle at the range, Mo, uh-huh. and um, apparently it goes against some policy. You can't even like post a picture of a gun anymore. So the Northern Hunter is going to be looking at alternative social media options to help reach as many people as possible. We're still going to be posting on the meta platforms. Um, for now, stay tuned for updates when we'll figure out a, a more free mm-hmm. and, uh, open source to be able to post and reach people and really put our information out there. And right now is honestly... With all this stuff going on with the meta platforms, there's never been a more important time. If you think mm-hmm. that our the information we're putting out is valuable and people could use the the information, the knowledge that you share it with your friends, send right. it to people, send it to your friends, share it to your stories, your pages, things like that, um, because that's really the only way people are going to find it now. So they've kind of roadblocked us. But well, I'd say one thing: you can still find our page by searching for yes. our page specifically, the Northern Hunter. So if you haven't followed it, it would help us out if you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I said, it's not going to suggest it to anybody anymore, but yeah, you can follow us there. Um, the biggest thing, number one thing that helps us is reviews on the podcast, mm-hmm. whether, you know, on Spotify, Apple, Apple is the big one for reviews. I'm not sure why they're the set up the way they are, but they're set yeah. up good for reviews and uh, we appreciate, we've been getting more reviews on there. We really appreciate that. Yeah. A lot, it helps us tremendously. So definitely leave some reviews, share share our social media stuff with your friends if you think it's valuable information because yeah until we figure this thing out we'll and we'll we'll keep you guys updated with wherever we end up we're looking at setting up a twitter page and stuff like that these days um it's a lot more free speech over there now and right uh there's a couple other ones that are kind of smaller the, the problem is you know we're trying to reach people to give them hunting information and unless you have a large mm-hmm. group on that platform you know there's a lot of people that come out with newer free speech kind of social media platforms. Right. But the problem is everybody's still on Facebook and Instagram. So right. you're not reaching those new people. And I, and I think Brian touched on that a little bit in this last episode we did with him, but it's just, you know, YouTube censoring everything and Instagram censoring everything and Facebook censoring right. everything. It's we're, we're going to be talking about new platforms and things that we're going to be on soon. But if you uh, appreciate what we're doing and you'd like to support the show, and help us in funding it and help us with uh, getting the word out. Um, you can also go to our webpage, uh, mm-hmm. thenorthernhunter.com, go to the partners page there. And if you shop from any of those stores in there that we have partners with, uh, that yeah. really helps out our show, that helps them out. There are a lot of really great companies and uh, that'll really help support what we're doing here and kind of help get the word out because they all share our stuff too. So um, Mo, since you built the page, mm-hmm. Why don't you uh, start off talking about what our sponsors are? All right. Well, we've got, let's see here. I mean, 
First one that comes to mind is Hammer Bullet. Hammer Bullets. They just released about a week ago now that when this comes out, but they just released a new line of bullets called the HHTs, mm-hmm. with which are a tipped hammer hunt, um, and uh, with the design of with a little lower expansion rate, yeah, a little, hot, little further range, it's down to seventeen hundred feet per second yep. now. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you check them out. Uh, oh, James and I both working up loads for those. Yeah, using those down there guiding. He's not using the HHTs, but he's no, using no, hammers. Correct, yeah, shock correct. hammers is what he's using. Yeah, correct. He's yep. using hammers down there. We've also got. Uh, we don't have a discount code with them yet. Yep. Um, yep. But we've also got we've got uh, Stealthy Hunter with Stealthy. Ryan Lampers over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got that uh, rifle cover. Yeah, it's been protecting my forty five seventy. Great. It's either on my back <laughs> or on the wheeler, and getting in and out of the bear bait, and especially clearing trail and stuff. It's mm-hmm. it's been amazing to have that on there. Yeah. And, and I love how easy it goes on and off the rifle right. too. It's not, there's no crazy configurations mm-hmm. or anything like that. Real easy snap buckles. So. And it's super light. So when I jump off the wheeler and if I'm, you know, near my bait or something, I can just snap it off, throw mm-hmm. it on the wheeler or stuff it in my pack. It's light. It, it, it compresses pretty well if yep. you just shove it in somewhere. Yep. Um, and so use the code, the Northern Hunter. Uh, at their website, they've also got the first aid kit and a bunch of other stuff we've talked about. Supplements. Yeah. And um, glassing pad. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. I love that glassing pad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> haven't used it yet because I haven't been sitting for bear baiting season, but I'm planning on. Oh, it'll be great for it'll that. It'll be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Make make an hour sit, make a two hour sit feel like an hour sit. Hope. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, We've got uh, Weatherby Rifles. Weatherby working Rifles. with them. And uh, James, you're. Just about got your Weatherby. Yeah, I'm actually going to go pick it up after we record today. So nice. yeah, it should should be in. I ordered the uh, the Weatherby Apex in 338 RPM. Mm-hmm. So same cartridge that Dalton shoots, but a different platform. The Apex, um, it's about a pound heavier. It comes in at about six and a half pounds because it's still that six lug action. Right. Um, but it's got the 24 inch barrel instead. It's got the uh, Peak 44 Bastion stock on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got a nice vertical grip, flat trigger. It's kind of just... The the one Dalton got the uh, the backcountry 2.0 is right. more of a, a mountain hunter sheep hunting kind of very minimalist but mm-hmm. all the features you need um, for that and that's how they got it down to like the five pound range right right but the apex is still light enough to do a lot of those things with especially compared to my old Bergara um, <laughs> thing thing was like yeah. thirteen pounds man but uh, and it's it's set up more for a little bit of that extended mm-hmm. range hunting. So I always try to keep my shots as close as I can, but I like having the ability to shoot farther for backup shots or, or things like that. Right. Moose, bear, they don't always drop immediately. So if they run 200 yards and turn broadside, I like knowing that from where I initially shot them, I still have good bullet performance and good accuracy mm-hmm. out to that point. Um, and I hunt with a lot of other people too. And if they make a bad shot, I like to be able to back them up as well. Right, so right. that's, that's a big thing for me too. Yeah. I'm looking at which rifle I'm going to be ordering here soon. Mm-hmm. And I think I've got it dialed out now. You know, I'll say what it is when I order it. Cause I'm not completely hundred percent sure yet, but that's mm-hmm. one of my, one of my big things is I, I may not, I probably won't ever take a thousand yard shot on a moose, mm-hmm. but if I can set up a rifle to be viable at a thousand yards right. and I know what it's doing. Yeah, I can. You know, if there's a wolf, if there's yeah, you know, I mean, depending on what what <laughs> depending on what's going on, I might take that shot. Yeah, and, uh, and, and and if I don't have the option, I can't do it. And with modern technology, and especially rifles like Weatherby's, right? Um, I mean, these things are just phenomenal right. shooters right out of the box, and they've really the tolerances that they run, the mm-hmm. the how tight everything fits together. 
I mean, you really can't beat it. And reaching a thousand yards when you have quality gear is actually not even, yeah. it's not that hard these days. It still takes a good amount of skill in the shooter, but the equipment can do it all day long. Right. Um, and modern hunting bullets are getting a lot better. These hammers especially have really great BCs. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've really designed them to fly super well. Um, they stabilize very easily. Um, it's probably, <laughs> I mean, it's probably one of the easier bullets to handload for, honestly. It is. So um, definitely check out all of those. Um, we've also got uh, Yukon River Knives. Yep. Yukon River Knives is, is one of ours. So Yeah, I've been using my Yukon River Knife. I've got it on my side right now. I carry it every day. Yep. yep. Um, I, I carry it at work. I use it all the time. I'm real careful with it. I don't pry with it or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a nice knife. But So, funny story about that. I actually used my Green River Skinner to open my Batum 907 Bear Tar. Nice. The other day because I forgot to grab a flathead screwdriver. And... Uh, it worked. It good, worked just fine. Good. There was no damage to the tip. There was no, I, and I knew it was a risk. It's a, you know, but it's an expensive knife. It's a good quality knife mm -hmm. and uh, it worked great. I also used the uh, Yukon River knife, Hunter knife mm -hmm. to take apart a porcupine uh, a couple right. times. Now we've gotten several porcupines this spring already. Nice. And uh, works great, man. It's like, I mean, I know it's a small animal, but they have, you know, they're, they're pretty tough to cut through sometimes when you got the quills and they've got real thick hair I'm on sure. them and everything yeah, like that. I've never cleaned one, but. It never, never got dulled once. And actually the funny thing is I, on the second one we got, I decided to use my um, outdoor edge, the mm -hmm. little orange handle ones. You can buy them 15 bucks at Sportsman's. Right. Just as a comparison to how easy the first one was and how everything just cut. I mean, you didn't even have to barely even put any pressure on it. And the, U the Yukon River knives is far and beyond that. I mean, it makes sense, right? One's like a right $150 knife the other one's a $15 knife but I mean that's what I've been using is mm -hmm. the the cheap ones from Sportsman's and it's just a world of difference so um and then like we mentioned with the bear tar yep Batum 907 so oh oh Yukon River Knives actually before we get too far off that uh use promo code the northern hunter at checkout for them if you're going to go buy a knife and you'll get a di nice discount code from them um and Batum 907 produces the best bear baiting scents in the world, if you ask me, That's right. I've been using them a lot in the last couple of weeks. Um, I've been using a bunch of the sprays, the yep. tars, the powders, the bait additives. I've got some of that nasty bore, uh, Bruins Brunt. Mm -hmm. That stuff is potent. Oh, um, the Bruins that. Brunt just seems to be a whole nother level of nasty so bore. I, I don't even know. I have some of the Bruins Brunt. I haven't used it yet. My thought was mm. to put it on once the uh, bears hit the bait. Yeah. Uh, I have some of that in the beaver cast. Okay. But yeah, yeah. I've got the little jar of the... Uh, Everything else comes in plastic mm -hmm. or, or the bear, unless it's the bear tarp, but the nasty boar comes in the glass jar. Mm -hmm. And man, every time I crack that thing open, <laughs> I, I always think like, oh, I'm going to spread this all around. But once I put it a few, put out a few of them, I just got to put the lid back on the <laughs> yeah. can because I've had enough. Well, and it doesn't take a whole lot. I mean, no. even that powder, that Bruins Brunt powder, I'm, I mean, I've probably only used half the bag mm -hmm. and that's spread out across a very large range. Okay. You don't need a whole lot. It's just a very light I don't know, you know, it's a sprinkle, a spritz, whatever mm -hmm. you'd call it every once in a while. And, and it's very potent. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's much more potent than the spray. It's much more potent even than the, the paste, I think. Really? Cause I did the paste and the, and the Bruins Brunt, but, um, uh, but yeah. And if you go to their website, it's uh promo code TNHP for the Northern Hunter podcast. That's right. Um, so it's a little bit different than the other ones, but that'll get you a nice discount there as well. All right, folks, I want to take a second to tell you about a product I found this last year and have absolutely fallen in love with. It's the Stealthy Hunter Rifle Cover. 
I used one on a recent blacktail deer hunt in southeast Alaska, and it did a great job of keeping the salt water and debris out of the action and also protecting the scope on my rifle from getting knocked around and damaged. On top of all that, the carry handle made it easy to transport the rifle to and from the boat during the hunt. When it got wet from rain and ocean spray, I hung it up at camp to dry at night and it was always dry in 20 minutes or less. Stealthy Hunter also offers a wide variety of nutritional supplements for the outdoorsman such as CBD oils, essential vitamins, turmeric, and bone broth. In the gear shop, they also have a lightweight first aid kit, glassing pads, and stuff sacks to organize your gear and your pack. Go check out Stealthy Hunter's website and use the code THENORTHERNHUNTER at checkout to get a discount on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. And speaking of Beta 907, yeah. Mo and I have both gotten out into the woods. We have been. And uh, finally got our baits out. Like we said, it was a very late spring. It was a very, uh, very late breakup for some reason. I don't know. It wasn't even that cold of a winter, to be honest with you. It wasn't. Which is kind of what made it odd. But, I mean, I think I didn't even get mm-hmm. out in the woods until mid-May. I mean, which isn't entirely uncommon, I guess. But it's, it's just a lot later than it has been in the last several years. Um, but I've been able to get in and get a couple of baits put up. And uh, so far, haven't had great activity, mm-hmm. but I have been hit. And uh, we had a grizzly bear hitting, actually, within a week of setting up the first one. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came in. He only stuck around for about three days. I think we talked about that in one of our episodes with the instructionals. They tend to be kind of migratory. Um, so he had come in and just kind of danced around the bait a little bit the first right. two days. Third day, he hammered it and was just absolutely going to town. So we came in once we realized he was there, uh, came in to sit, mm-hmm. didn't see him that night. Um, we were pretty careful and everything like that, but um, we sat for, I want to say six hours mm-hmm. waiting for him to come in. He was hitting regularly between like 1130 and 2 a.m., 1130 p.m. and 2 a.m. So we got in there probably around 10, got everything settled in, sitting down, and we stayed till... I think like three thirty four somewhere okay. in there. Um, and uh, he never showed up. And according to my cameras, he never showed back up after that at all. So it wasn't that he wasn't coming in. He just mm-hmm. wasn't, he could have been 20 miles away for all we know. But, right. um, but that's, that's about the extent we've got there. I'm going out uh, to set some more this week. I have one more to set this week um, that me and my buddy are going to go out and do. So hopefully that'll produce uh one interesting thing, I don't know if I mentioned this in the beginning, is I'm running basically all new areas this year. Yeah, I'm doing the same um, thing. So I've kind of moved on from some of the spots I was in. There's just too many people or too many, you know, obstacles, things right. like that, where I just, I didn't really want to invest any more time into that area. So for everybody listening, you're going to get a really great look at what an unestablished <laughs> bait is going to do. Uh, you see a lot of these people posting pictures and stuff like that. These are baits that have been established for 15 20 years, right. things like that. But it is possible to pull bears from a brand new bait. You don't have to have that. Oh, yeah. Um, you just have to be a little bit more patient. So, but I think June is going to be a pretty awesome month. That's yeah, my prediction. So. so, we're hoping. I say, but, yeah, I've got I've only put out one bait so far. I'm scouting out some other areas. Hopefully, we're mm-hmm. putting in another one this week. I haven't had anything hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you say, it's, it's early. Yeah. And, well, it's early for when breakup was. Yep. Bears aren't moving a ton yet. Um, 
you know, and it's funny because, yeah, once you've got a bait in, if you pick a good spot, mm-hmm. and I always try to pick a spot where I want an established bait. Right. Not yep. where I'm going to bait for a year, right. but where I want an established bait. Because after two or three years of that bait being established, you'll have bears on it. A lot of times, if you don't get out and bait it up right away, bears will come through mm-hmm. before it's even baited up because there was food there last spring. Exactly. Kind of with that, you know, one thing that uh, Brian had mentioned up in one of the interviews we did with him, I'd spacing now if it was the last one we just did or the one before that a couple of weeks ago but how uh you know we're teaching people how to get out there into the woods right. we're teaching people how to find bait sites we're teaching people how to find moose and sheep and caribou and all this other stuff and you know he's like people aren't going to like that you're you're doing that you know and ruining spots mm-hmm. i think it's really important for people to remember to be respectful when you're out in the woods um alaska is majority i'm going to say majority of vast majority public land um it's probably the most public land out of anywhere you're ever going to find and anybody from the lower 48 that has any hunting experience down there understands the struggles of hunting public land in some of these midwestern states and Mm -hmm. um, some of the northern region states um where the public land just isn't quite enough to house as many hunters as are in the area you know you see these memes all the time whenever deer season starts coming around of 10 trees with 10 stands in them in like a, yeah. you know, 50 square foot area or something like right. that. And, oh, this is what hunting on public land is like. And Alaskans for the most part, I feel have a really good grasp on how big the state is mm-hmm. and have a really good grasp on respecting each other as outdoorsmen and right. hunters and people like that. But for the new people getting out in the woods, if you're listening to this show and you're following along with what we're telling you to do and you're maybe looking at spots on Onyx that you wouldn't have looked at before or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever mapping system you're using and you show up and there's already a wheeler there or a truck, you know, with ramps and you're, you know, clearly in somebody else's spot, you need to be able to put your pride down a little bit. I know it's hard when you've scouted uh-huh. an area and you show up and somebody's already there. And usually it's somebody that knew all of the things we're talking about long before you know you heard it on our show or you know learned it wherever you learned it and it's not right and it's not good practice Mm -hmm. or behavior to encroach on somebody else's spot to move into somebody else's area um if you pull up and realize you know somebody else is already here it's really good to maybe talk to that person if there's enough space in the area that you guys can spread out and make Mm -hmm. sure you're far away from each other um, then you can work together. And it's really important to have that attitude where you're, you're willing to work with each other mm-hmm. uh, because it is a big state, but there are limited trail systems. And sometimes things, people end up using the same trail to access an area, but, you know, offshoot in different places, you right. end up in different valleys and different areas. Sometimes you can be miles and miles and miles apart on the same trail system. But having that attitude that we are all basically I don't really like this term, but public landowners, you know, you see that term thrown around a lot and I don't really like it, but it's the best description. We all have equal access to this land. We all have equal rights to this land. Mm -hmm. But if somebody's staked a claim to a certain area for either a bait or maybe they have a moose camp set up there or maybe something else like that, it's really good to respect that. Yes. Because otherwise you're going to end up, we're going to end up just like those other states where, you know, public land hunting is just, horrible and you're going to overpressure an area and there's not going to be any moose or any bear there and it just doesn't help with the culture at all mm-hmm. you know it doesn't help with promoting people getting out in the woods because now 
even if you guys are all stacked up on top of each other, you're not going to have the same success rates you would otherwise. Right. You're not going to have the same experience you would otherwise. And people are just going to start getting angry. And I've heard of people getting in some pretty serious confrontations over hunting spots. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been oh, people yeah. that have been, you know, there's been gunfights over it. There's fistfights over it and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alaska is the Wild West. So right. <laughs> you know, the last frontier. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely. But I think that's important is I, I really like what we're doing, helping people get out in the woods. Um, I had an encounter with somebody just this last weekend, you know, mm-hmm. running, running my trail and running into another wheeler. And, you know, we were able to sit down and chat and talk and figure out kind of generally where we were and, and figure out that we weren't competing necessarily. Um, and I think that's, it just kind of set it in my mind. Like, I, I hope everybody's like this. Right. I hope everybody is, is cool about this and respect. And we were both a little, you know, we didn't expect to see each other there. Right. But, uh, you know, it, it just, it really, um, it makes for a much better environment and it makes for a much better time. And if you're going to be going out in the woods into places you've never been before, just be aware there might be other people already there. So that's, mm-hmm. that's an important part of scouting, I think, is ma- look for sign of other people. If you see like established camps where it looks like right. people come and set their wall tents up every year to, to hunt moose. Yeah. Maybe don't plan on setting up there because they're probably going to come back. Right. Yeah, <laughs> don't know? set up on the other end of the field from them. Really. Right. <laughs> you know, if you, if you notice that this is kind of a, a person, you see a bunch of flagging tape when you're walking around, don't think, oh, well, this is the perfect trail. Like, no, that's a, whoever set that flagging tape, unless it's completely weather-worn and looks like, you know, it's old. And, and sometimes mm-hmm. it might just be a trap line. But, I mean, really keep an eye out for people, too. Right. Not just looking for moose, not just looking for bear, but looking for competition from other people because one like i said you don't want to ruin other people's spot two you don't want to ruin your own chances either right because if you show up there expecting to be all by yourself and all of a sudden now you're not that might kind of throw your plans for a loop as well Mm -hmm. and so just keeping that that general attitude of mutual respect for each other i think is really important i agree you know i've whenever i go into a new spot i'm always looking and this year i found a spot i expected to have competition mm-hmm. in the spot I ended up in. I didn't really even end up in there on purpose, um, but uh, I don't have any competition. I'm really glad for it. But even just this last weekend when I was out there checking my bait, I rode all over the place looking mm-hmm. for other baits. I want to know who's there. I want to know where they're at. I want to try to, I want to make sure I'm out of their way. Right. Yep. And, uh, you know, and also I don't want to be in a spot with a bunch of other guys baiting because we've talked about this before, but if you put in a bait and I saw a post on Facebook the other day about it, so I'll just go on a little rant. Somebody asked, you know, how far, how close is too close for another bear bait stand? Mm, right? I'd seen that one, yeah. And you had all kinds of responses like, oh, 100 yards. <laughs> right. One, one guy said, which is just ridiculous, right? Yeah. You know, and then you have, well, you know, anywhere around a mile or mm. you know, a mile's too close. Yeah, Unless honestly. you've got a steep ridge in between you guys. Yeah. And even then you're probably going to share bears. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in a really hilly country, you can kind of shrink the space a little three or four miles. You're probably better. If you've got lots of hills and gorges and dips right. and the scent flow is not going to be overlapping as much there, but mm-hmm. there's a good chance you'll still share bears. I had two baits one year that were five miles apart. Mm-hmm. Accessed them off of different portions of the road system. One was miles back in. The other one wasn't as far back. Mm-hmm. Hills, river in between them, like lot, base. Yeah. And I still, I had a sow with three cubs, same sound, three cubs on both baits, Was it which, which floored me, you know, within hours yeah. of being on one bait, they were, they were on the other bait, which is crazy that those little cubs are covering that kind of territory. <laughs> it um, really is. 
when, when you walk through it and you're like, man, right. this is rough. <laughs> right. And, and a like, river, like, yeah, seriously, you know, it you wasn't know. a major river, but, um, trying to stay away from other guys' baits or if you are baiting mm-hmm. in an area where you know is high competition, yeah. you know, and, and there's sometimes you do that just to stay close. You don't have to go a long ways out of town. Yep. Try to, one, get a far away, you know, if everybody else that's there looks like they're close, mm-hmm. you know, ride until there's no more wheeler tracks on the trail. Right. Right. Yeah. And then ride further. Yeah. Get one in there further. For one, you're going to have more success. Yep. But try to get there a ways. You know, there, there's very few situations where I find a bait and I put a bait near it. Mm-hmm. And the only times I will do that is if I find a bait that's not registered. Right. Yeah. If I find a bait that's not registered, mm-hmm. he's not doing what he should be doing. Yeah. He's, he's not following the law. He's not being ethical. Yep. Right. And I don't care. Yeah. You know? Right. And, and I'm going to do my best to scent up and do, have a better bait than him. Right. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and depending on the situation, I may just call the troopers and let them know, Hey, yep. this is what's going on. Um, Anyway, I, I said I want to go on a rant about that. <laughs> Five, six miles is a real good rule of thumb. It really is. Yeah. And, and, you know, in some closer, like you said, with some terrain features and things right. like that, um, you know, you can shrink that down to, you know, about that mile mark. I know last year, one of the areas I, I was baiting within, I want to say it was like 1.3 miles of another guy. Mm-hmm. And, but there were terrain features between us. He was on the other side of a, of a hill. I was in the valley off to the side and, okay. um, and I'd been hit and had a, a very good flow of bears coming through, you know, recognizing which ones were coming in. They were being pretty regular and he had been hit and had kind of his own version of, or his own kind of bears. Mm-hmm. We, we compared pictures and videos and everything and we weren't sharing bears. I mean, I think we had one that went back and forth, Really, but it was just one and it was actually a sow. Um, with some cubs, like kind of like what you had said. Yeah. Um, but ultimately speaking, just based in that region we were in, we were one one point three miles as the crow flies, but terrain wise, it was kind of hard to get back and forth. Um, but yeah, realistically, I would say at least three miles, mm-hmm. at least. I mean, with five to six being preferred, right? Um, because yeah, bears bears travel. You know, they they don't just stay in their little valley. I mean, they go. Wherever they think, yeah. if there's not something to eat right there, or they think they might want something else, they're going to go where, mm-hmm. and especially if you did a good job sending the place up and they get a whiff of that right. on the wind. Right. Um, so, you know, and that's kind of another thing is like, if you roll in somewhere and you see other sign of other baiters, you know, and, and they're registered and legal mm-hmm. and good, good ethical baiters, then, uh, you know, for your own sake, you know, pull out, go somewhere else. Yeah. Like, like you really don't want to be there. You know, it's it's one of those things where somebody might roll in and be like, oh man, there's somebody else here. There must be bears here. I'm going to set up here too. You know, it's, it doesn't work like that no. because as we talked about in the other one or one of the other episodes, you're just going to, they're just going to bounce back and forth. If you're sitting right, and right. they notice you're sitting there, they're going to go to the other guy's bait. And if he's sitting, then they're going to come back to your bait maybe, but you're just going to play basically, you're going to slingshot these bears back and forth and your success rate's going to go down tremendously. Right. So, well, lest we, um, Lest we turn this into another bear baiting episode. And <laughs> it's easy to do. <laughs> it, it is, especially but, during season. But but yeah, so just general gist of that is just be respectful, be be cordial with each other, understand we're all out there with the same the same goal, the same mm-hmm. mindset. And for their success and for your success and the success of all the hunters out there, just work together. You know, if somebody already has an established bait in an area, give them the right of way. You know, they've done the work, they did the hard work to get there. Just be that kind of individual. 
<laughs> you can't hear the rolling of the wheels. Mo is uh, getting a more comfortable chair. <laughs> I just realized Dalton isn't here. I'm taking his chair. <laughs> so anyway, to the bulk of this episode, um, we're going to be talking about wheelers. That's right. So for all the baiters out there, they've probably already done some of the maintenance stuff we're going to talk about, hopefully. If you haven't, you probably should. Right. Um, but some people haven't even broken them out yet. Some people are waiting until, you know, it gets a little bit later in the year. They're going to go scout for their moose. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just, just moose hunters. They don't bear bait, things like that. Um, so let's kick that off with, we'll back up in the year a little bit okay. with breakup. Come breakup season, if you're trying to get out on the trails, um, there are some good practices that you should get into every single spring to make sure that your wheeler is in the tip-top shape and you're not, you're not mm-hmm. basically running an old, worn-out, you know, run-hard, put-away-wet machine, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty much how we all run them up here. Right, but, yeah. Because um, I know in years past, I was the kind of guy, I would just basically park it out behind the shed and just turn the key in the spring and hope it turned on. Didn't disconnect yep. the battery, didn't anything. And uh, this year I tried to change that quite a bit. So why don't you, uh, Mo's kind of our, our backcountry mechanic kind of thing here. We've told him he needs I, to change his handle to that a couple I've, times. I've been, I've been there a few times. Um, so, <laughs> so what's your practice when you first pull your wheeler out? Okay. So I don't, I don't disconnect my battery in the fall most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had an issue with my wheeler. I, I had an issue. I'll go into it later. Uh, with the stator and recharging mm. the battery. So yep. this year was the first year in the wintertime, and I knew it wouldn't, or in the springtime, where I went out to start my wheeler, didn't start right away, and I had to charge the battery. Um, but, you know, the first thing I usually do is I usually shovel my wheeler out. Once things start to melt, I get excited. So the first thing I do, I shovel, shovel out my wheeler. Mm-hmm. You know, I shovel a path, get it kind of pulled out to where I can start looking at it, start working on it. Used to have, you know, used to when I was, Still living with my parents, I could pull it in my dad's shop. I don't have that option now, so mm-hmm. I just pull it out into the driveway and start going over it. Start looking at it. There's always a list of stuff that needs to be fixed on it, and you know, there's things you have to fix, things that you can survive without till the next time you have money, you mm-hmm. know, or, or money that can go to that. And uh, <laughs> right, it, you know, there's a list of things I want to do on it and upgrade on it, and and maybe I'll go into some of those later too. But check the oil. That's number one thing to check. You want to mm-hmm. check the oil for number one. Make sure you have enough. Uh, but let it run a little while, yep. run it around a little bit and check your oil again. Make sure it doesn't look like water's gotten in there somehow. Yeah. Uh, you can tell that by, if the oil looks milk, if mm-hmm. it looks, if it looks like a dark milk color at all, there's water in it. Yep. I've never had an issue where I had water in my oil that I wasn't able to fix simply by changing oil filter and oil mm-hmm. two or three times in, in a week. Just flushing it Just out. Just flush basically. it out. Yeah. Yeah. You, you you drain all the oil as much as you can, change the filter, put fresh oil in it, ride it for ride it for a few hours or something. Mm-hmm. Just race race up and down some local trails, real good. Check it again. It's probably still going to look a little milk, hopefully a lot less. Swap it again. Yep. Maybe ride it a bit more and swap it again. I I had to do that once. It wasn't in the spring. It was actually from swamping it, and I've never had another issue with my motor. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I check is coolant. Always important to make sure. Yep. Your fluids are the most important thing. If your fluids are all good, look for cracks in your, any lines. Mm-hmm. Make sure your fuels, I like to let it warm up and I like to just get, get riding a little bit and I like to pin it. Make sure it's responding how it's supposed to. Make yeah. sure my power steering's working right. Mm-hmm. Make sure everything's shifting like it's supposed to. I, there's just a whole list of stuff I go through when I first break my wheeler out. Yeah. Well, and with the fuel thing, um, 
Now, sitting over a winter won't ruin gasoline. No. Um, it really won't. But one practice I started getting into just for my own peace of mind mm-hmm. is when I put it away for the year, I basically try to leave it at like a quarter tank. Mine usually is whether I try to or not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I'll normally park it with a quarter tank of gas in it. And then that way, when I go out and I'm going to go fire it up for the first time, mm-hmm. I can put some fresh gas in the tank, let it mix up a little bit. I mean, when you first fire it off, you're going to end up with that older gas in the lines because they're already in the lines. Right. But uh, for the most part, you know, as soon as you take that thing out and you ride it around the neighborhood, ride it up a trail, it mixes all that new gas mm-hmm. with that old gas and kind of just revives it a little bit. Again, one year in a cold winter isn't going to ruin gas, but no. I just, for my own peace of mind, I like, I like to put fresh gas in there. Yeah. I, I've never, I've never, like I said, I've never had an issue with that part of the fuel system, mm-hmm. in, especially in the spring. You yeah. know, if you, if you can turn your key on and hit the button and boom, your wheeler fires mm-hmm. or turns over a few times and fires. That's great. That's great. That means you probably don't have much going on. Much, not much is. Yeah. There's not usually a lot of stuff that's going to change, but some, you know, a lot of guys run a little older wheelers because a new machine costs a lot of money. <laughs> it can. Yeah. You know, even my machine that I paid like four grand for several years ago, and I've put three thousand miles on it and replaced a ton of stuff, and it's in, le- in worse condition than it was when I bought it, mm-hmm. just because it's been run so hard. And yeah. I could probably sell it for what I paid for it. Oh, probably. More. <laughs> yeah, with the way the economy is. These yeah, days. It, yeah. It's, it, so wheelers are expensive. A new one's even more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but keeping it maintained, I mean, you can yeah. get a lot of life out of those, those older machines. I mean, the, like you pointed out with the oil, the oil is a huge thing that I think a lot of people probably ignore. Right. Um, and for people that aren't familiar with, uh, you know, motorcycles and wheeler motor types, the, the oil, I believe, also does the transmission, right? Yes. In, in these kinds of motors. It's, Most it's, of them it's, it does. Yeah, it's your full lubrication. So there's no alternate like transmission fluid that you'd have to mm-hmm. put in there. It's just your oil is kind of the literal, I'm not going to say the lifeblood, but it's, 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 right. it keeps everything lubricated all the way through. Um, it's important when you get a wheeler on YouTube, mostly you can Google or not Google, but YouTube your exact model. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there are videos of guys doing a full tune-up on it. Right. Um, that's how, what I did with mine, with my King Quad I have out there is, uh, there was a video and the guy literally broke the whole thing down into what what to do, how oh, to replace right. the spark plugs. I mean, there were panels on that thing I didn't even know you could take off that let you access certain areas and things like that. And it's, it's really great. I taking off panels. Oh, I do too. <laughs> there's such, there's such a pain to put back on. First but. thing you see in the, in the, in the manual, you know, on something I did recently and I got away without doing it, um, but is uh, remove the front fender. Which mm. isn't just removing the front no. fender. It's like, oh, you got to pull the rack and pull this and pull that. And then finally you can take the fender off. Yeah. Right? Anyway. <laughs> That's to get to my oil filter. I have to take like 10 bolts off, oh, remove the goodness. skid plate, like get it. Like it's, it's a, it's a full hassle, but. I can get to my oil filter without doing any of that. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, yours sits a lot higher than mine does too. But it's, I mean, I think it's just the way it's built. But. Maybe, yeah, probably. But, but yeah, so keep it up on maintenance uh, in the early season is really important. You don't want to end up just running around your neighborhood thinking it's good and then go 20 mm-hmm. miles back on some trail and have it overheat. Right. You know, that's a big thing that people have happen every year. You know, they, they get back there and either they're, they didn't check that their, their pumpkins are full. Um, they're, I call them, that's the, the, the differentials. Right. Uh, you want to check those, the differentials. That's the next thing I was going to mention. Yeah. Yeah. You want to make sure that is topped off with fluid, make sure it's not gritty and nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, just give the whole thing a nice once over. Um, the disconnecting the battery thing, uh, the reason people do that is in case you have like a ground short 
Right. Um, so it's not kind of drain. creating a, a slow, like trickle drain during right. the winter time. Um, but if you don't have any kind of a ground short, then yeah, you can leave it connected right. all year long. So. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the reason you would disconnect the battery also if with that thing is because if you drain your battery in the winter time completely mm. and that battery can then freeze and right. it can deform the inside of the battery right. bul- and it may not, re- you may need a new battery. Yep. Yeah, it, can, it can bulge the housing and pop right. the seals and things like that. Right. Yeah. And it can deform the plates inside and stuff like that mm-hmm. if it gets completely cold because there is water in the battery that's yep. mixed when it's with, with other stuff when it's charged so it won't freeze and do that. Mm-hmm. Once, yeah. it's, once it loses charge, it can do that though. Uh, one important thing is o- the type of oil you use. You know, especially a lot of older machines, this wasn't as big of a deal. The newer ones, they've gotten some of the stuff they do to it. So mine's a 2012, okay. but I still count that a newer wheeler. That's kind of when wheelers really, 2010, 2012 mark, mm-hmm. they really started to go from the the squatty, older, smaller wheelers. Right. Um, and they started getting like the fuel injection and all that kind of stuff. And Something important with that kind of, with, with those newer machines with oil is, you know, with the old machines, you could put just about any motor oil in them and mm-hmm. you were good. Um, you know, I think my, my wheeler wants 1040 and I just buy okay. the ATV 1040 mm-hmm. because that's what it's, ATV motorcycles usually the same. Yep. And yeah, like you said, it does the chain case, it does the, and it does the motor. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you've got a belt drive, um, that's something else to check is your belt drive. If you've had issues with it before, um, it may, if it gets frosty and there's something, a little moisture in there can cause an issue. Some of them have a drain plug on the bottom of them. Mm -hmm. Some of them have a vent where once you ride, it dries it right out. So mine has. So just things to look at and check for. Every once in a while, pull that cover off. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it's just once a year and look at the belt, make sure it doesn't look cracked. Trust me, take my word for it. You don't want to lose a belt. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And uh, so with my pumpkins though, um, they both have a brake one one has a brake in the pumpkin it's got mm-hmm. a wet brake and the front one my diff, differential lock is a clutch based differential lock it's got a clutch pack in there okay so instead of a lot of the the older differential locks is like you flipped a switch or something manually you pulled a pulled a cable and kicked it in you know and however it worked you know my dad had an old articat that had that and it was great you couldn't steer but you could get out of holes <laughs> um so then you flip it off well mine has what is it looks like a little little yellow handle sticks out weird on the left side and you grab it and you pull it back and it squeezes a clutch pack mm-hmm. and it, uh, it locks the front tires different, locks the diff- front differential so they'll both spin and help, helps tremendously. And it's this like on the fly and you can use it. And when I first got the wheeler, I was afraid to use it because it's on the fly. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to break something. You're right. Well, it being a clutch pack means you're not going to break anything. It's designed for uh, it. It's designed yeah. to do that. Yeah. Now that I've rebuilt the front, differential i know that <laughs> but what what's important about the oil with that is if you don't put the right oil in there you'll you can have issues if you go buy 1040 car oil and you put that in there mm-hmm. you can have a lot of issues because it, that won't work your wet brake in the rear won't work because you need a limited slip oil mm. that's designed for or, or a uh, um you know oil that's designed for a braking system because if you have just regular oil Imagine pouring oil on your vehicle brake mm-hmm. and then trying to stop. Yeah. It will stop eventually, <laughs> but you're going to have to push really hard, right? <laughs> yeah. And so that's where that uh, the wet brake and the clutch packs in the front, making sure you're using, there's a reason they recommend what they recommend yep. in the manual. You can usually find a free version of the shop manual PDF. 
Yeah. You know, I was I, just going to say, if you're buying secondhand or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's what I've done. You know, and yeah, and a lot of times you buy a newer machine and they'll do free oil changes and stuff for a while. And mm-hmm. Warranties and all that on wheelers now. Yeah. But. Well, and that's kind of the hard thing. And that's what kind of led me to, to looking at the YouTube videos is mm-hmm. because I didn't realize for the longest time, but um, I think ATV mechanics charge more than actual car mechanics do might i mean atv Um, parts can cost more than car parts it's ridiculous well i mean just the the shop time i think the last time i looked it was like 175 bucks an hour yeah for shop time and uh that's expensive that gets expensive yeah and i mean i get it it's a it's a high demand but it's also a smaller Mm -hmm. smaller machine takes a little bit more time to take things apart you know you got to remove a lot more pieces to get to certain pieces that on a car you can just reach under there and, and grab but um, so, I mean, you're going to be paying more for the time mm-hmm. it takes just to do some things, but, um, learning how to do it yourself is really a, a, an important skill. I think, um, a lot of people in Alaskans just tend to be a lot more DIY anyways. Right. Um, I know a lot of people that do all this by themselves and it's just, it's something important to check and to, to keep up on before you, before you head out. I mean, you'd be amazed how many people I've talked to that have never checked their coolant in their wheeler. They've never checked their oil. You know, maybe right. they take the little little stick out and just make sure, oh, yep, still There's there. There's oil but in they, there. But yep. they don't actually, they don't ever change it or anything like that. I well, mean, they, we're talking, so. Wheelers can take a tremendous amount of abuse. Oh, they can. But there is a limit. Yep. Something else I'll mention um, to check, you know, especially in the springtime or before you just go on a long trip, right? Look at your tie rods. Look at your bushings. Mm-hmm. Um, jack up or some, have somebody pick up the front of your wheeler grab your wheels and see how much they shake. There's usually a little movement in them because it's a wheeler, but there's bushings where the bolts attach mm-hmm. the hub to the, the A-arms. A lot of times those bushings wear out. Yeah. Um, and you'll get a lot of rocking in those and just fixing those will make riding the wheeler a lot easier and a lot nicer, but it can extend the life of your, uh, of your axles. Check your boot, mm-hmm. your, your axle boots for rips. I check those after every ride just about yeah, because same. that's usually when they get ripped. They get a stick or something, hits them just right. Yep. I feel like it's a miracle mine aren't ripped already this spring. <laughs> um, and I have rebuilt my axles several times. Mm. Um, and the other thing to check is your uh, tie rods. I'm just going to recommend that beef in, a, a set of beefier tie rods, especially if you're hunting with your machine. Mm-hmm. Um, I put a beefier set of tie rods on my wheeler because I broke one in the field. Yeah. And um, that was 14 miles from the truck. Ooh. And I'll tell that story <laughs> later when we get into some... <laughs> When we get into the, the actual backcountry mechanic part of this, yeah. but I've got some experience with, with some things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and honestly with the boots and stuff like that, one important practice to get into, um, and this would honestly be before you put it away for the winter. And honestly, even after mm-hmm. a lot of these longer treks, if you're going to be out for 10 days when you come home is put that thing on a trailer, put it, you can do it in the back of your truck, but it's kind of hard and it kind of, get stuff all over your bed, but take a pressure washer to it. Even if you just oh. got to go down to the car wash and, right. and, you know, put the quarters in the slot and, and use their oh, pressure yeah, washer, that. but, but get in there and get all of those grasses and those, you know, the sticks and twigs and things like that off of those boots mm-hmm. and off of those axles and everything. Cause what can happen is when you get, when you're in swampy country, which most right. of Alaska is pretty swampy, you're going to end up with grass that gets just wrapped around those boots and wrapped around everything down there. And it's going to build up and build up. And then when it dries, it can cause a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, with it, it can damage your boots. It can damage your axles and things like that. And so most of what this part is, is just prolonging the longevity of your, of right. your machine, making sure you don't have issues in the field, making sure you don't have anything 
go wrong that abandons you 15 miles out in the sticks and uh you know making sure you keep the the undercarriage of your wheeler nice and clean mm-hmm. as, or as clean as you can you know it doesn't have to be pristine show quality but keep all those big chunks out of there keep all the debris right. and that'll really help with like your like exactly. what, what you're yeah. talking about um but once you've done all of that um there's a couple important things to make sure you have on you before you go out yeah on your rides um you've you've gone through you've done all your maintenance you've made sure everything's topped off and you're ready to go but you should still be prepared for whatever's going to go wrong. Correct. You should still be ready if something's going to happen. Now, whether it be you get stuck, you get broke down, mm-hmm. anything, um, a good, uh, having a winch on your machine is, is huge. Um, I can't really understand people that don't have winches on their machine it, with some of the yeah, places I, I go. I've never ridden a wheeler without a winch. Yeah, and, and a lot of them these days come with them, but if they don't, they're not super expensive. You can throw it on. It's and, actually and, surprising. When you go buy a brand new wheeler, most of them don't have a winch on them. Really? Yeah. Even anymore? No, my my dad's looking in the market for, he was looking at a lot of the newer, brand new ones, mm-hmm. and he was saying, yeah, you got to buy tires, you got to buy a winch. Really? Because like, the tires they come with, unless you're riding gravel roads or you know, or, or stick into the mountains. Mm-hmm. And even then they're not that great at tires. The tires yeah. most wheelers come with are farm tires. Mm-hmm. Like, and even then I really don't want to, <laughs> they don't tear up your grass. That's true. That's true. At least not yeah. as much. You know, the tires I have on my wheeler, if I turn, I leave a mark. Yep. But yeah, same here. I've got the nice, like a, it's like a Chevron pattern on them. Yeah. And you it got just, the ITP mud lights or something. I think so. Yeah. yeah I've got yeah. the ITP like mudzillas or something like the next level up mm-hmm. or whatever, but. Yeah, I don't think I could put those on mine. I don't think I have the clearance, but but uh, no, they 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 grip, they they bite just about everything. Mm-hmm. I've climbed hills and gone through swamps, and I mean they just they do good. The only thing I've ever been stuck in is snow, so I'm I'm pretty happy with them so far. You haven't followed me very far. Have you? <laughs> no, I will soon though. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so keeping you know making sure your winch works is important. Um, mm-hmm. For when you get stuck, if you don't have a winch, keeping a, and even if you do have a winch, honestly, keeping like some kind of a strap, um, whether it be a come Straps. along or yep. or a toe strap of some sort, something like that, to where you can get yourself out of a sticky mm-hmm. situation. Um, and I know you had talked about wanting to go over like a mechanical so, yeah. bag. Basically. So with that, so what never leaves my wheeler, um, and you know, unless I'm cleaning it up or whatever, and even then, it usually just stays on. It gets pressure washed off with everything else. I've got mm-hmm. one of those baskets that hangs off the back of mine and in that basket I have a come along. Mm-hmm. It's just a regular cable come along. Um, I have like a 20 foot length of rope. Mm-hmm. I've got several straps. Overall, I've probably got around 100 feet, eh, 50 to 100 feet. Okay. It's been a while since I inventoried it. Yeah. Of straps and rope. Mm-hmm. And the goal of that is if I get stuck somewhere, especially when I'm by myself and I used to ride a lot more by myself in swampy areas um, you know, a winch usually comes with 50 feet of cable. Right. And you can't use all 50 feet of that because mm. if you run your winch all the way out and you try to pull your winch in, it's just going to rip it right off. You got to have some winds yep. around the spool. Um, but you know, I've been in places where my winch didn't reach, you know, and I yeah. usually have, I usually like to have a strap to put around the tree. It's really bad for your winch cable to hook to itself. So I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I have a strap that wraps around a tree. I have a strap I can wrap onto another wheeler with mm-hmm. um, if I need to pull that wheeler out or p- use it to pull myself out. You know, inevitably, once a year, most season or something, I'm pulling somebody out or somebody's pulling me out. Yeah. There's a hole that everybody got through but one and, yep. you know, you figure out where to cross and everybody else gets through it. But uh, what I, so I always have all that with me, mm-hmm. especially if I'm in any kind of a muddy situation. I want everything I might possibly need, right. especially when I'm by myself. 
right? I carry most of the time, I have a small, it's a 20 volt DeWalt chainsaw. Okay. Allows me to cut down some logs, get them under the two wheelers. If, hey, and if I'm riding in, putting in a bear bait, it's an awesome thing to have to cut the deadfall <laughs> out of the way. It's quiet. It's small. I don't have to have gas for it. Yeah. Don't have to worry about that. Just throw some extra batteries in the pack or something. Um, and I, I was just using it the other day. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. It, it takes a little, it needs some barn chain oil, which I just, you know, I think I put some 1030 in there. Yeah. Because that's what I had. But it, it and it works great. It, and it's 200 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I really like those DeWalt chainsaws. They're pretty sick. Um, and Milwaukee has a few. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you run the Milwaukee system, that might be what you want. But they don't, they're not compact like the DeWalt one is. Okay. Like they yeah. have a small 12 volt one that is mm-hmm. pretty compact, but it just looks like, doesn't look like they spent a lot of time trying to get the body of it down like it should be. Yeah. The big one looks the same way. It looks like way too much plastic. Like it could be a lot smaller. Yeah. Never used it, but sorry. If, if any, I, I have Milwaukee power tools as well. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to alienate the Milwaukee guys. Um, but, and that's important because even in my experience this year, uh, we had a, we had gone in to set up mm-hmm. and then pulled out. And when we went to go check in the next time, we'd had a windstorm in between right. those two. And there were, there were trees down in the trail right. on blocking my path. Now we were going in prepared. We were able to get through and, you know, cut whatever we needed out of the way. Um, I normally have like a hatchet with me as well for mm-hmm. smaller things and whatnot. Um, but that could happen while you're down there, right. especially if you're going into like, let's say moose camp for you know, 10 days or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you're out there and the windstorm comes through and you hunker down and you're, you're fine, but you go to leave and all of a sudden there's this 18, 20 inch round tree right. crossing the trail, you know, and swamp on both sides, maybe you're just thickness and you can't right. get through. I mean, it's nice to be able to have a way to, to clear that trail right. for yourself. So those are the things that I typically try to always have in my wheeler. Mm-hmm. If I don't have the chainsaw, I like to at least have a machete. Machete is yeah. a lot lighter, smaller. You can throw under everything on the rack if you need to. Hey guys, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you've likely heard Dalton and I go back and forth about bullet construction. Now I like rapid expanding bonded core bullets that leave massive wound channels. I've also stated I would never use a monolithic bullet. Well, I'm here to tell you about the company that finally changed my mind. Hammer Bullets produces what I would consider the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are designed so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, the front half of the bullet explodes, shedding its petals and imparting massive damage to the vital areas while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration, effectively closing the gap between lead core and monolithic construction. The guys at Hammer designed these bullets with 100% focus on how they perform once they reach their destination. But don't let that fool you. These bullets have amazing VCs and have specialized pressure groups built in for amazing inherent accuracy. They have a minimum velocity rating of 1800 feet per second, which allows for long range shots, but have no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high velocity rounds like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. They've also recently partnered with Weatherby to provide factory ammunition for a multitude of cartridges. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com to buy yours today and drop the hammer on your next adventure. So when it comes to like a mechanic kit, I don't necessarily have that with me all the time, especially mm-hmm. when I'm bear baiting. Usually I've got bait and tree stands, and especially when I'm first setting up, I've already got a ton of stuff on that wheeler. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've ever seen my wheeler when I go in on a moose hunt, it looks like I'm going for like a month. <laughs> uh, I can pack a ton of stuff onto a wheeler. <laughs> yeah. And I, 
so far i haven't turned one over with all that gear on there but mm-hmm. you just got to ride a lot more carefully <laughs> but a little um, less side hilling <laughs> you know by the time you got sleeping bag and tent and you know food for a week mm-hmm. and you know everything else on there it, it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff but uh so that, at that point usually i also have, i have a mechanic kit. i'm going back in there for days so if i'm doing that I have a, I, whatever I need. A lot of times your wheeler comes with a real small mechanic kit under the seat. Mm-hmm. Has the basics. It's got usually like a reversible screwdriver. Uh, it's got an Allen wrench maybe for something. It, it's got a little wrench that fits one or two things on your wheeler. Yep. And it's rusty, guaranteed. If you ride very much <laughs> at all, get wet. It's probably rusty if you've got any kind of an older wheeler. And you may not even be able to use it. So pull that out once in a while and check on it. Mm-hmm. I keep it there. I rarely use it, but I have it there in case I need it. It's a good backup. Um, my wheel is really hard to get to the, and it has a spark plug socket in there, but without taking a ton of stuff off it, one of my spark, one of my spark plugs, it's really easy to get to the other one's not. I have a, I have a V twin mm-hmm. and, but I was working on it one day and my dad goes, Hey, I think he's got this like T handle spark plug remover that happens to rotate just the perfect way that it fits in there and hmm. I can take out a spark, take out that one spark plug. Nice. Now it's hard for me even to get my hand in there to unplug it and plug the spark plug in once it's in. Mm-hmm. But that is, that is strapped now with that kit under the seat. Usually I have extra spark plugs. Those are things I usually always have with me. Because once again, if you swamp your wheeler, mm-hmm. swamp replacing your spark plugs, you know, you may not have oil and stuff with you, but you can usually get the thing to run long enough to get it out. Right. Or to get somewhere where it's away from the water. But spark, swapping the spark plugs will keep that thing running. Mm-hmm. Because they're getting moisture and wet and carbon and all that mess from the moisture that's in the machine. Um, but, you know, what's your belt case bolt size? You need to get, get some kind of wrench or easy setup, something to make it easy to take off. Mm-hmm. To get your belt case off, do you need to remove your foot? Uh, well, oh, hopefully yeah. not. Mine, I don't have to. Right. Most of the Arctic cats, you do. Mm-hmm. That sucks. I had one part of the reason i don't have it anymore yeah um because you know an extra belt even mm-hmm. i keep i don't have a new belt on, in my wheeler that yeah. i keep with me i have an old belt that's that the uh, outside of it kind of blew up and it's not going to be ideal <laughs> but if the wheeler belt that's in the wheeler blows mm-hmm. up completely and shreds yeah i have one that's used it's wore out it's partially blown up but it's but a lot it'll, better than one that is blown up it'll limp my wheeler out yeah. exactly um you know, knowing what you need to replace your belt. Some wheelers, you have to pull the secondary. Mm-hmm. Some of them, you can get it on without pulling the secondary. So if you have to pull the secondary, you have a puller for that. Yeah. Um, if, you know, one thing I did uh, was one, one year was I had to replace, well, I pulled out, I was having problems with my fuel pump and, and I was gonna, just going to pull it out and clean the screen on it because I thought that was part of my issue. Mm-hmm. And I have a fuel injection, fuel injected wheeler. So it's got like a, pump in there that looks like it comes out of a pickup truck so i was able to pull that in the field and clean it out and put it back together hmm. um just because we had the right tools you right. know so you know you don't necessarily need a full mechanics kit you don't need to go buy the craftsman yeah you know 70 piece yeah 70 yeah. piece or 100 <laughs> sockets and all the yeah. ratchets and everything you can buy that but then pull out what you need. You okay? I want. I want this. I need this socket. This socket and this socket. Mm-hmm. This extension to do this. And if you do your own maintenance on the wheeler in the spring, it makes it all the better. Right. And you can make yourself a small bag that can fit in this ba- in this basket or that pocket or just something mm-hmm. that has the bare necessities. You know, some kind of multi tool. Yeah. It's amazing what you can make work in the field. Oh, it is right. And a lot of these newer wheelers have like multiple compartments 
where yeah, you can store time. things and, and so, yeah, I know, right? It's like there's like, all this space on there that could be used for yeah. stuff and it's just empty. Like I think mine has three separate ones. Like one's actually mm-hmm. water sealed so you can put stuff that you don't want to get right. wet in there. The other two are just kind of exposed but would be great for like a tool bag exactly. or something like that. It just has a little little latch that keeps it closed and you hope you never need it, but exactly. it's but there it, if you do. It's out of your way. It's not on your rack. It's not taking up mm-hmm. space for all your, you know, your moose quarters and everything else that you're going to be throwing on there. But, um, is now a good time to insert a story? Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's see here. <laughs> Which should I go with? Um, I, I'll just go ahead and go with the most extreme. Um, me, Dalton, and Dalton's brother went uh, in on a fall, early winter bear slash wolf hunt. Mm-hmm. And it was a spot I'd moose hunted before. Uh, and we were riding up a drainage. Oh, we we went in like, it was like five miles in and then we were riding up a drainage. We had a spot we camped and everything. And uh, we went in, we camped. It was, it was wet. Uh, it, it was snowy and wet. There was like three or four inches of snow on the ground. So plenty to still be able to ride the wheelers. Mm-hmm. There were some creeks and stuff that had a little bit of ice. We had a little issues crossing them. The, the creek wasn't deep. It was just, you'd ride and then you'd fall through and your wheeler wouldn't go anywhere because there was ice on oh, both sides yeah. of it. So <laughs> we finally got through all that nonsense. Um, and one, one thing we learned from that, and this is a big thing, especially in the fall, is if you get your wheeler wet and you get water and slush all over it, and then you park it and it's below freezing and you get back out there, that wheeler mm. don't want to move. Yep. You can get water. One of us, I don't remember who it was, but one of us got water in our brake, either our brake cables or our throttle, bu- bu- throttle cable. And it froze in there. Yep. So until that thawed out, we had a lot of issues you know, the, either that brake didn't work or whatever it was. Yeah, it just seized the cable up. Yeah, anyhow, yeah. and like, you try to ride the thing, it was just, and you had just like, we had to bounce those things around a bunch and get everything broke free, mm-hmm. chip a bunch of ice off, and then we were good to go. If Had we known that was going to be an issue, we would have painstakingly the night before used a lot of that dry snow to pull the wetness off, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, if you ever got a snow machine stuck in overflow and then tried to park it, and then the next day tried to go anywhere you're not going nowhere that's frozen solid underneath right you have to clean it all out similar situation not quite as bad (laughs) Uh, anyhow that next day we hit the trail heading further in um and you know we found a set of bear tracks and rode up high in one spot and like it was beautiful we didn't see any we we saw some moose we saw some caribou Mm -hmm. didn't see any bears or wolves at that time um and so then we decided to head up the drainage and so we head down, we're heading up the drainage. Uh, there's some creeks and stuff we got to deal with. It's real rocky. Um, but a lot of it's pretty easy riding. Mm-hmm. And we're getting up to a point and um, we'd gone a long ways camp, I think about nine miles. And I was up ahead of everybody and I was kind of thinking, well, about time to turn around. You know, we'd been riding a lot. Wheelers are starting to get around that half tank point. So yep. it's a good time to turn probably around. Probably a good time to turn around. And uh, I was like, I'm going to run up on this little kind of high point and wait for them to get here. We'll probably stop, maybe eat lunch or something, and then we'll turn around. So right before I got to there, there was this rock, and I didn't even see it. I mean, it was like, you know, six inches high and a foot around or something kind of sitting in them. It, it wasn't really a trail we were on, just a drainage. Mm-hmm. And I hit it with my, I believe my right, my left front tire. And after hitting it, I, I mean, I had to hit it just right because I, all of a sudden, I'm trying to drive and steer and my wheel is just push going one direction straight. I can't steer right. I can't steer left. When I'm turning the handlebars, like what's going on? Hmm. I jump off my wheeler and the tires are facing each other. Oh, I've had this happen in my truck one time. You know what that means? The tie rods 
broke or something. Yeah. Or maybe they were, I think they may actually been yeah, facing away from each other. I think the truck, it was together and it was partially facing away from each other because my left tie rod somehow total fluke, but that left tie rod had bent. So you were just basically pushing your front tires. Pretty much. Yeah. And yeah so they were still rolling, but it mm-hmm. just wasn't wanting to do what it needed to do. And so I hadn't even quite jumped up where I wanted to jump up. Well, they get up there and, oh, what's going on? So it's like, so we grab the tie rod to try to bend it back. And when we do that, we snap off the tie rod end. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I, now I can't steer at all, right? <laughs> One tire just does whatever it wants to. And fun fact, without a tie rod, your tire can turn away further mm-hmm. than it's supposed it can, to. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what we ended up doing, we tried riding without doing anything to it and it just kept turning and making a mess and so we finally strapped it in place mm-hmm. it couldn't turn at that point but it was strapped forward and it was there was enough snow on the ground like i said three four inches of snow it was kind of sliding yeah and for some of it i i think you know we hooked up and had them pull me a little bit and then some of it i was able to my rear tires just to keep the thing moving mm-hmm. and somehow at some point um so well, first thing, we were just riding, and I got to a point where I kind of figured out how to ride. I had one tire that could steer, so if, with the snow and the slickness, I could get the thing kind of pointing direction. Like I said, we were in a drainage. We kind of got out of the rockiness, and it wasn't so bad. Mm-hmm. Now, we got a lot of hills and stuff to climb on the way out the next day, but I'm not thinking about that. I just want to get this thing back to uh, camp. Anyhow, so I'm riding along, and there was, there was all these spots where there's kind of bigger rocks and spots where it was like just regular gravel and sand. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm riding along. I kind of get through, shoot through a spot where there's some water flowing, and I shoot through there, and I'm trying to head over to the right of these rocks, but I can't quite slide over to the right. I think, whatever, I'm going to go over. Well, I hit these rocks that are up, sticking up a little bit more, and my left tire is strapped solid to the, straight to the wheeler. It's not moving at all. Hits those rocks. I'm not sure how fast I was going on. I was going fast enough that when it hit the rocks, it completely flipped my wheeler upside down, threw me off. Um, my rifle was in my gun boot and it was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of argument with guys over rifle in a gun boot, rifle on the back, which is better for it, which right. beats it more. Guarantee if the rifle was on my back, I would have hurt, broke something in mm-hmm. the gun boot. It was safe at <laughs> that time. Anyhow, you know, um, anyhow, and wheeler landed upside down and of course I jump up and I'm fine. I, you know, I had a new pair of new, new hunting jacket on at the time and I put a hole in the elbow and I was upset about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, get back over, able to flip the wheeler over and it run, still runs fine. And so we get back, we get it up the hill to the camp and all right. Well, I know, actually, no, before that, it gets worse. <laughs> uh, before we, we get back down the drainage and we're kind of moving over into the trees a little bit where the trail moves. And at some point in this, I don't remember how it happened. I don't know if I even knew how it happened then, but my fret differential quits working. So my right tire is, decide, sometimes it's turning, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just <laughs> locked up and not turning because the front differential actually blew up. Mm-hmm. Um, completely shredded. And I don't know if I had accidentally shifted into four-wheel drive or something. And it Well, really with, ma- with everything else going on in the front end, who yeah, knows? Yeah, I don't know if yeah. that happened, had to do with the way it flipped. Right. If I hit four-wheel drive or something, because obviously I don't need four, don't want four-wheel drive because mm-hmm. one tire is not turning. Um, but anyhow, so now it's getting worse. Not only is one tire not turning, the other tire's not always turning. It's deciding <laughs> whether or not it's going to turn. And every time I'm, every once in a while, like it's just like clicking and you know, making all kinds of noise and I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, whatever, I got to get this thing out of here. So we do get back to camp where, you know, they're able to like tow me up the hill into camp. 
we, you know, make chili and sleep or whatever. And the next, got a decision to make. Do we leave this thing here? And I'll write out on one of your guys' wheelers. And I come back with sleds, snow right. machines here in, in a month or so yeah. when there's snow and slide, dr- pull this thing out. You know, that'd be a piece of cake. Right. Or do we try to get it out? And I kind of, you know, they both think it's crazy to leave it in there. I think it's no, you know, no problem, but they mm-hmm. convinced me, you know, let's get it. Let's do our best to get it. And then my other thought was then, well, if we get it halfway out and we have to leave it because we can't get over something, then that's where it'll sit. Yeah. That, right? it's a, it's a shorter sled ride. It's a shorter ride sled ride. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, you know, we start heading out and the first part of the trail on the way out is the worst part. And we get through it and we get up over everything and. It took a little bit, some of those steeper spots, mm-hmm. but you know, with one guy, with two guys hooked up to me in front, because it's, it's snowy, it's slick. They don't have traction. Right. You know, so, and I, my tires aren't turning, right? So, <laughs> uh, anyhow, we, they get me pulled up and out and we work up and we, we get up over the hill and we start working our way down and, you know, there's a few more hills and swamps and creeks and stuff we got to make it through, but we make it through everything. We get back to the truck and to get it up on the truck, how did we? Get it up on the trailer. How do we get it on the trailer? Uh, trailer didn't have sides. I don't remember how we did it. I think I pulled some boards out of my truck and mm-hmm. put them on the ramp or something. I was able to slide the front. Th- I don't know. I Somehow we got it up there. Yeah. Like I had to winch it up basically. It down. I don't think we we had to winch it up. Okay. Um, but strapped it down and got it back to town and you know, <laughs> unloaded it and shoved it in the snowbank <laughs> until I had time to get to it that winter. Yeah. And that's when I rebuilt the front differential. And I learned, realized later that, yeah, I know it literally the spider gears inside that front differential had blown up and it had been so much force mm-hmm. with everything that was going on there. It actually broke the bot, blew the bottom of the case out. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, as, a, as the, the advantage of that is I now know how that front differential works. Right. You know, I know how the differential lock works and how the four wheel drive works. Um, but you know, that's, uh, not something <laughs> you want to do. You don't want to have that happen. Well, and, and the thing I like about that is it was totally chance, basically. Yeah. I mean, riding yeah. through, I mean, riding through drainages is something all of us do. Right. Riding and, you know, kind of off trail, going, making your own way mm-hmm. up somewhere. That's something all of us do when you want to get somewhere and maybe you've even been there before. But something as little as like a one foot by six inch tall rock can I cause know, that I know. much. And, and I roll right over them all the time. I oh, mean, yeah. and that's one thing you notice the ground clearance on mine. I love it. You know, I was out testing. I was caribou hunting. Uh, it was the first year I had it. So probably three years ago now, I mm-hmm. think. I think I've had that thing for about three years. And the first year I had it, and I was just testing it out because I looked underneath. I saw I had a full skid plate. I'm like, eh, right. can't, can't do that much damage. So I would just roll over big rocks in the trail oh, yeah. just to see if I'd skip over them or not. You know, and, and, and most of them I did, honestly. I mean, that thing has tremendous ground clearance. But it's really something to keep in mind and why, you know, right. cycle back to why you keep things on your wheeler at all times is because even a simple ride like that somewhere you're fairly familiar with mm-hmm. just a stump in the wrong place or a boulder in the wrong place a little rock right. like that can cause just that amount of mayhem yeah <laughs> I mean, no, trying to, that's why i recommend the beefier tie rods now i have a kawasaki brute force mm-hmm. and it, the tie rods on it weren't super heavy duty if you're running stock tires, you'll probably never have an issue. I'm running 28 inch the ITB Mudzillas, I think mm-hmm. I said, and yeah. with a two inch lift. And yep. I've had a lot of other stuff happen. I've had um, I've with a lot of weight on the front at times. I've blown my shock mounts hmm. off the frame and up into the plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, which you lose a lot of ground clearance when that happens. <laughs> um, 
I can imagine. You know, and and that's just you know a lot of those hard lessons learned. You don't want to ride with full PSI on your tires. Yep. You know that that unless you're unless you're doing something quick, easy, mm-hmm. air them up and pull the air out when when you're done because you you know and don't carry a lot of weight when you do that because yeah. that that wider spread of tire for one gives you a lot better through the mud, a lot mm-hmm. better grip, but it also is a lot easier on your wheeler and on your shocks. Yeah. Um, I've replaced shocks on that wheeler. I've done the front front differential. Recently, I did the stator, mm-hmm. which is the uh, electro, the, the magnet, um, the coil that goes inside. It's actually bathed in oil inside the chain case, mm-hmm. and a rotor spins around, and that's how it generates electricity and charges the battery. It's essentially, it's not an alternator, but you could essentially say it's the alternator it, 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 of a wheeler. So it is. If, if that's the point of reference yeah. most people are going to yeah. get. Yeah, so it's weird because the manual calls an alternator. Oh, really? But everybody calls it a stator. And I don't know if that's because most bikes run a stator. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a very nice, very high quality, ridiculous amount of work to replace. You have to drain the coolant and mm-hmm. drain the oil. And, yep. um, but it's not that hard to do on that machine. And once I did it, I haven't had an issue with the battery since. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually, it's probably been slowly going out for a while. And it finally just got to the point it wouldn't keep the battery charged. I could ride for about 20 or 30 minutes. Fine. Mm-hmm. And then the wheeler would run for a while, but then if I shut it off after that time, it wouldn't start. And eventually, without throttle, it would die. Yeah. And that's not a good spot to be either. Yeah, right. Uh, so, you know, and, and making sure you have a strong battery and your wheeler is good too, you mm-hmm. know, especially in a fuel-injected machine. The old pull start machines, you know, a battery was optional in some of those in the way the no, things No, honestly, worked. yeah. And as long as you could get it running, you're good. You know, it was like a snow machine without a battery, right? Yeah. You can pull Just start crank. it. And, and Right, you could... Um, we had a machine growing up, but you could, uh, a snow machine, you could unplug the key mm-hmm. from the, you could just pull the plug off the key thing inside and start it. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice. Because it didn't have a battery. My machine, my wheeler, if you don't have the key, mm-hmm. um, then you're kind of, you know, yeah. up a creek without a paddle. Like, yeah. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is the same thing with mine and any of these newer models really. It, I mean, and, and it kind of annoys me because it's just a four wheeler. Like. <laughs> I wish I could hotwire this thing real easy in that well, in a pinch. But and, and they probably have a lot more issues with theft in the lower 48 yeah. than we do up here. I mean, most people up here, you know, like we said, Alaskans tend to have a lot more respect out right. in the woods than, than I, I feel a lot of people do. And and so I think if most people see a wheeler in the woods, they tend to leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not a, a rule to live by, but you know, right. a, a decent expectation. I would I would think. But uh, for to cycle back to. Uh, this time of year, mm-hmm. uh, trail conditions people can expect to be dealing with this time spring? of year in the spring and kind of how to handle. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to tell you, there are spots I've been during moose season where I've thought, man, this would be phenomenal baiting area. Like, this would be great for baiting. <laughs> and, you know, maybe I've only been there in the fall and then I come in in the springtime and it is just Swampville. Right. You know, it, it's totally, it looks totally different than before. And, and you can kind of tell it's going to be that way based on the ruts in the trail and the, mm-hmm. the you know, the, the trees around it, if they're real small, um, that it, it probably is a, a soupier area and maybe just right. had time to dry out by the moose season. But, uh, man, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing how different the terrain can be between the seasons when you're coming right off of breakup season and all that snow melt off and everything's running through the trails. And mm-hmm. Some of these trails are legitimately runoffs. Right. You know, and then people just go up them during caribou season and whatnot. Um, and uh, so tell 
couple stories about it. Okay. Or, or, you know, well, I've got it one instructions on swampy riding. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, earlier spring before mm-hmm. the swamp hits. Yeah. A lot of stuff's frozen. A lot of the ground will be frozen. If you go in uh, when there's still a little bit of snow on the ground with the wheelers, mm-hmm. you can a lot of times, especially if there's a snow machine trailer or something, you can ride right over everything. Or there will just be a lot of frozen spots and you can just race right in. A lot of the snow's gone, but the trail's still pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And I've done that. Dalton and I have done that too, where we race in a spot, piece of cake, everything's frozen. We race in there. It's like 20 minute ride in. We set up our baits. We're like, awesome. There's nobody in here. I can't believe it. <laughs> a week later, we show up and there's a creek where there was, a, we thought was a bridge. Turned out it was just snow and ice yeah. um, that had been plowed and ridden over all winter. Um, and uh, that was, a. <laughs> that's not a good, that was not fun. And it took us, it, it was a two hour ride, mm-hmm. what was 20 minutes to get in there because it was so swampy. Um, so ice is a big thing. And a lot of, so in, in Alaska, there's so much water in the ground Mm -hmm. and along hillsides and bases of hillsides where you'll have these little creeks that are rivulets that only run for, they'll run most of the year even. Um, and there's only a little bit of water in them, but in the winter time, the water doesn't stop running. Mm -hmm. And I still don't understand why that is because there's big rivers and creeks that will freeze completely solid. Yeah. And to the point they freeze all the ice falls in and they're dry mm-hmm. until springtime comes and they start to flow again. And you have these little tiny creeks that stay running all winter long. And a lot of times they're under the ice and you don't know they're there. Mm. But what happens is water will seep out of the hillsides from those and water will build up and you'll get glaciers. Yeah. And one spot I'm going in, it's, it's, it's a trail, such a trail, it's almost a road. And there's a couple spots that creeks cross it. And we probably on the, if you look at the Instagram post or story where this episode is listed, uh, we should have a video of actually me doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got to like drive over some ice through the creek and back out of the, on the ice. And I don't know how deep it is or anything. So I'm getting out ahead of time with the sticks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and my goal is to not roll my wheeler because I don't know what the ice is like, but uh, to get, you know, and it's make sure it's not too deep. And uh, what I did, what I had to do this year was I rolled through that one spot and that spot wasn't really an issue. It wasn't, but a little further on, another quarter mile or something like that, there's another spot and I was able to roll right through it, mm-hmm. right over the ice. The water was running on top of the ice. Boom. On the way back, no problem. The next week I went out there. Um, and I don't have footage. I, I might have a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I went out there and this first one was even easier, except that where it had been ice before wasn't ice. Now it was just kind of a hole you drop into and back out. Mm. Still wasn't that deep. Um, I head down the second spot. No problem. It was easier than the last time, except when I came back, there was an ice ledge I dropped off of and I could not get my wheeler to climb back over it. Ah, yo. I could get the front tires up on it and the rear tires came up against it. Mm. And there's water and mud down below and ice on top and it's just spinning. Mm-hmm. So that's the, anyhow, I was able to find my way around and tiptoe around, around the mud and not get on ice that was too thin and all the nonsense and I got out fine. And then I almost last this last time I went in there, it was almost the same issue, but I was able to kind of break some ice and get my way through. Yeah. Um, so that's one springtime thing is the glaciers can be in your way. Yeah. Once the glaciers are gone, usually you're fine. But like I said, sometimes there'll be a big old run creek that <laughs> you have to build a bridge over to get your tree stands out. Well, and in some of those areas, though, that ice and the snow around those will stick around a lot later in the season. Right. Even right. if you your trail is just dirt and mud on the way in, you'll come around a corner and then suddenly there's this huge... Correct. Yeah, pile the, of snow and I mean, ice. The snow's and, pretty much been gone for two weeks. Mm-hmm. But I was out there two days ago. There was still a big glacier in yeah. this spot. You know, it's still three feet of ice right there. Like, yep. 
you know, it's insane, but it just takes the sun a while to dig through it all. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyhow, um, that's the first thing you kind of got to worry about depending on the area you're in. Uh, now, the advantage of that is if you find that, there's a good chance nobody else is in there. Because nobody else is going to try to cross that and that's work their way through that. Uh, same goes for that creek. There's a reason nobody else was in there where Dalton and I went. <laughs> and there's a reason nobody else is still in there because we baited that that year. We had bears. Didn't kill anything because it was too much work to get in there and hunt. We'd get in there and hunt it a few times. It was just so much work. Right. Now, if we had more time to hunt it, there's a good chance we would have gotten bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that's and, and now swampy country. And that's what that turned into. Um, well, let's just say, uh, let me throw a scenario out there. You find a spot. Let's go check this out. looks like a cool trail on the maps. And the way you, reason you can spot the trail on the maps, there's not just one line across the thing there's a line but there's all these little shootouts and looks like water and stuff in the trail mm. that's usually a very swampy trail yeah um so you decide to go ride it and like james said you rode it in moose season and it wasn't that bad there's a few go around <laughs> trails you had to take you didn't don't drop through the deep holes but you're able to ride right in there and maybe you killed a moose and came out but you saw some bear sign i think this would be good mm-hmm. spring area so you ride it in the spring uh first time you go in it's frozen you're good second week you go in it's not frozen. Um, and you find that everywhere you try to ride, every place that looks even decently damp, you're getting stuck. Mm-hmm. It's, that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. Um, there's some tips and tricks to that. You, you know, and a lot of people don't follow this. I may, hope I don't regret sharing this information, <laughs> but just riding through the holes mm-hmm. isn't the way to do it. Yeah. Now, I typically will make a main part of a trail last as long as I can um, without making go around trail until I really think there's a high risk of getting stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, others will go around as soon as they think there's any risk of getting stuck. Right. Um, but like I said, I've always got that gear with me, and that's where that come along, and the mm-hmm. ropes and everything come, in, come into place. Um, well, and two things to look at that, that I look at when, mm-hmm. I'm, when I'm going into swampy country is you can kind of, the more time you spend out there, you can kind of get a gauge on what kind of mud it is too. Right. Um, there's the very... Uh, dense mud, I guess, which is just like dirt and and mm-hmm. water, essentially all it is, some rocks mixed in there. That's usually not too bad to roll through. If you've got a, a long puddle on the trail, and I'm talking, right. I mean, I've ridden through puddles that are hundreds of yards long, <laughs> right. you know, and and you look at it, and it's a little intimidating, but you just, you trust that, you know, that it's not that deep. And if it is too deep, you, you just back out. But you kind of look at the the mud in the trail, and if it looks like it's got gravel and things like that in it, it's usually not terrible writing, mm-hmm. even if it's covered in water. What you want to watch out for is that real fine, and what it is is it's basically river silt right. in, in, in the mud. And it's just, it doesn't take a lot of that stuff to get you stuck, mm-hmm. you know? And so when you're looking at those puddles, that's one thing to keep an eye out for is what's leading into the puddle. Is it this really fine, silty stuff that's just going to turn to quicksand? Or is it like gravel and things like that? And that's, that's one thing I like to look yeah, at. So I don't consider... The kind of trail you just described where you've got a hundred yard or well, several hundred yard long mm-hmm. puddle that's a puddle because the trail's kind of dipped down in that spot. Mm-hmm. And you can ride right through it, yeah. but it has bottom. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's kind of, there's trails that have bottom mm-hmm. and there's trails that don't. Right. right? Yeah. If a trail has bottom, it's not swamp. No, it's just wet. That's, that, it's just wet. Yeah. It's a muddy spot. One of the trails I saw this, this past weekend that I went and rid, rode down a little bit. Um, I knew trail to me and mm-hmm. I rode down a little bit and it had bottom. There was some go around trails cause some of the puddles were deep stuff mm-hmm. can get really muddy and rut it out mm-hmm. and then you have to go around it, but it's still got bottom. Yeah. Okay. Stuff that doesn't have bottom is where you have, um, 
you know, it doesn't have that. It, there's nothing for your tires to grab down. Right. There. More, more of the grassy kind of tundra. It's grassy. It's tundra. Yeah. You start the first time you ride in a car, you know, you might ride in a trail that's decent on top and you drop down to the bottom of somewhere mm-hmm. through one of those creeks or something. And it's all permafrost down there. You go from nice big trees up top and there's just spindly stuff mm-hmm. that you can run over down low. And the first time you ride in there, even the first year you ride in there, you're fine. You come back that next spring and you ride in there a few times. The next thing you know, your trail is just starting to turn into ruts. Mm-hmm. You're not digging anything up. Yeah. You're not even trying to rip it. It's just disappearing because mm-hmm. you're warming up what's underneath. The permafrost is thawing out and boom, all of a sudden, the bottom your trail hat is going away. And now you've got to make a go around trail and a go around trail. And after yeah. about 10 years, you can go back to your original trail and start riding it again. <laughs> right. um, and sometimes I found when I've been on really old trails that guys don't ride anymore is the new spot, maybe where people are riding are really bad, mm-hmm. but the oldest spot has bottom again because it's kind of had time to build back up and right. grow up. And sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. But uh, the burn areas, the black spruce areas tend to turn really swamp. Um, and and that's where you just have, you got to learn to gauge a lot of times the color of the grass. Mm-hmm. If you've got really green grass, if you're in a swampy area and you've got really green grass and there's not a lot of it, or the ground just looks darker and you've got this green grass, that's typically, like I said, if you're in a swampy area, if you're mm-hmm. in an area where the there's mud, but it has bottom, mm-hmm. you usually don't have to worry about this. But if you've got really green grass, typically that's a swampier spot. Maybe you right. go around that and pick the spot where the grass is darker or redder or isn't green yet. Mm-hmm. or pick that, you know, maybe you've got a spot to ride through and it's 50 yards wide and 50 yards long. Mm-hmm. And it's that way because everybody has taken a different route with their wheeler and it's yeah. been ridden hundreds of times and you're trying to figure out how do I get through this spot? Where's the best way to go? Um, well, if there's a spot where you can see a few bushes sticking up, go mm-hmm. there. Yeah. <laughs> At least, you know, <laughs> there's something that that's holding on to in that spot, right? Yeah. And if there's a few bushes sticking up, you know, I've ridden over, you know, there's times you'll be riding over an area and it seems like everything around you is just kind of shaking. Mm-hmm. You're just like riding across <laughs> the mat on top of you. Like, I don't know how far, how deep, you know, it's just, it's like jelly on top of a pond. Right? It really is. And it, it's the freakiest thing in the world. You know, just, you can see the ground kind of ripple yeah. with you. Yep. It's, it's weird. And that's where you just. Ride slow. You ride careful. You don't want to rip that up because mm-hmm. you may not be coming back through there. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and the truth of the matter is, though, if you find a spot like that and you figure out how to ride it and you can get in there and you can get in there in a decent amount of time, mm-hmm. you'll probably be alone. Yeah. You know, at you least will. at least for bear season. Yeah. And a lot of times even for moose season. Yeah. And and I've run into several of those areas, even in high country. Mm-hmm. I mean, even up in the oh, caribou yeah. country. I mean, you would think being at 3,000 feet elevation, maybe, you know, you'd be in the high right. grounds with rock and stuff like that. But it's kind of like you mentioned. I mean, you're not coming out of the trees because you're above the tree line. Right. But you'll come down out of that rock and out of that, that boulder area that you've been riding on. Pretty much the only thing you have to worry about is your, your teeth rattling out of your head. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you drop down off that, off that ridge top and all of a sudden the bottom of it between the ridge you're on and the ridge you're trying to get to is all, right. like you're mentioning, it's all super green grass. There's just humps every once in a while and puddles between every hump. And it's just, you know, you can see like 30, 40 different sets right. of tracks that all went different directions. And it's just. It's, you don't know who got stuck and who didn't. <laughs> right. And, yeah. You know, and, and I found those same things too. And it's weird sometimes because you'll be riding, like I said, you'll be on gravel. 
Mm-hmm. Right? And you can see gravel on the other side. And, but there's this pond yeah. in the middle of it. That you, you can't really go around the pond because on both sides of the pond, there's this, the real thick alders that are mm-hmm. like two foot high, but two inches around, and they're going to destroy your wheeler to ride through them Yep, because they're hard as can be. And this is where that chainsaw might come in. It will suck to cut your way it through will. that, but- I've done it. You cut yourself a trail <laughs> through it. You know, or there's this watery spot, and next, in between the, the alders in the water, there's grass. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I should be able to ride there. And sometimes it's solid as a rock, mm-hmm. but other times- You'll ride in there and then you'll sink. Yeah. And that's what we call swamp. (laughs) It doesn't have bottom. And it's, Alaska is a crazy place. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more spots that are swampy than aren't. Yeah. You know, a lot of guys don't like to ride the swampy areas. You know, I had a guy I used to hunt with that had, um, uh, he he had uh, tires on there called rip saws. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they're really aggressive looking tire, but instead of having the wide ribs that are spaced apart, like yours or mine, mm-hmm. or, you know, you got the big ones, you got even bigger ones than I have, like the silver backs or the outlaws and thought about getting some of those, but like, do I really want that big of a tire? <laughs> right. Um, and maybe on a bigger wheeler, I feel like, but yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, he's got these rip saws and they're not, you can get them in whatever size, but they're a very aggressive tire, real deep tread, but there's a lot more of it. Mm. It's kind of like a all-terrain pickup tire almost, but real mm-hmm. thick tread. If you've seen what yep. I'm talking about or yep. not. And what they're designed for is like mountains and rocks. They right. can grip all those edges and just pull you right up. And they've got all that tread on there. So you're not going to puncture mm-hmm. the flat part of a tire. He gets in the mud. Those things are worthless. Well, and what happens is because you have such a small gap in between exactly. the tread, it just fills it just up. fills with mud and then it's a slick tire. Exactly. Yeah. It's just a racing, t- racing slick at that yeah. point. <laughs> That's one reason I like that Chevron pattern so much is that sh- because as you're rolling and as you're spinning mm-hmm. the tires, it's kind of flinging that mud off of the tire at the same time. So they almost right. self-clean as you're going. Um, and, and that's one reason I think it contributes to why I haven't. Right. They, cl- they clean out well. And yeah, yeah I, well, if you ride into those swampy spots and James and I were going to do a bait in one area, we're not going to because the breakup's too late for the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a spot I was going to take him in. And uh, he was going to see some real swamp. <laughs> so, if, you, yeah. if you haven't got your wheeler stuck, it's because you haven't tried. <laughs> yeah, I like to think I'm just a skilled rider, but we'll, yeah, we'll put a, that to the test. I don't know how many people have seen the old show. It's called the Red Green Show. I have seen that, okay. yeah. So, you know, and they're always fixing stuff with duct tape. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's just laughing at rednecks and men in general. And yep. I, I always, you know, my dad used to watch some of the old shows of those. and um, and uh, I remember watching some of those and there was one where, uh, you know, there's this one segment and some of them was said, uh, here's the repair part of the show where we like to call, if it ain't broke, you're not trying. Mm. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, and I've kind of adapted that to myself. Well, if you haven't gotten stuck, you weren't. There you, you know. go. I'll have to try harder from yeah. now. <laughs> all right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. 
All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Tell me this. So a lot of people, whether it's that, you know, tundra swamp without a mm-hmm. bottom or just a very washed out trail that might have a ton of ruts and things like that. Um, Cause I know I've gone through some very sunken trails. I'll just put them that right. way where there's a lot of water over them and you know that there's bottom. Like I said, mm-hmm. you look at the mud, you look at the dirt, you know, you look at the walls around it and everything like that. Um, and you can tell that there's probably a pretty solid bottom through this. You start rolling through. I know what my limit is, but I might be pushing it because I haven't actually like checked on my wheeler. But mm-hmm. at what point do you worry about how deep the water is okay, on your wheeler? So and when do you decide to pull out or maybe find another path? That, so that, that's a really good question. Um, one, figure out where your limit is by, fig, look, get, get your, when you've got some panels off or you pull your seat off your wheeler, or even if you don't, mm-hmm. look at, start looking at, okay, look at your motor. Mm-hmm. Where's the air intake on your motor at? Where does it lead to? Yeah. Where's the air box? Where's the air intake off the air box at? That's all important. Mm-hmm. And that's all stuff to check for, for cracks and stuff like that, right? Um, I've, um, my limit, I, as long as my, as long as the water stays below my seat, mm-hmm. I typically feel all right. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you've got something with bottom and you get into it and you get moving, mm-hmm. what will happen is you create a tidal wave yeah. where the water starts moving in front of you and you'll, and your wheeler's pushing the water. So a lot of wheelers have the, uh, the air intake is either in the back behind the seat. I don't like that. It's just too low. Mm-hmm. But if you're moving, riding through water real quick, it, it's actually good because it's in the spot that the water gets too last. Right, and so if you move through something v. quick, yeah, because it creates that V and the water just never gets there. Mm-hmm. If your wheeler has the air intake up in front of the handlebars, that's mm-hmm. what mine does, actually has a sealed area up in front of the handlebars. They're mostly sealed. It's not perfectly waterproof, but mm-hmm. uh, where the wires and like that's where the um, ECM is and all the computer stuff and a lot of the plugs are. Yeah. And that's where the air intake is as well. And that's where like most of the uh, ble- feed tubes and like the vacuum tubes, not vacuum tubes, but like the air burp tubes and stuff mm-hmm. go so they don't suck water. Um, that's also a really good spot because once again, you create that V, it's up in front of the handlebars, it's high mm-hmm. and it's in the center. Yeah. So it keeps you safe. So, you know, my belt has a air vent that kind of comes off the top and just sits right on top of the motor under the seat. Mm-hmm. While part of me doesn't like that, be- then water can get in the belt. But yeah. water doesn't, water's not really going to destroy your belt. No. It it's shouldn't. kind of a common... But what will happen is if you get water in your belt, your belt will slip. Yeah. You start slipping belt. And when you start slipping your belt, you'll start heating up your belt and you can start to burn it. And that's when you can destroy a belt. Mm-hmm. So getting water in your belt is not the end of the world. Not treating it right if that happens mm-hmm. can be. Um, yeah. And so I don't necessarily care for that, but I've never had water get in my belt from that, which and, has blown my mind. And, you know, and I haven't either. Um, and I think maybe it's just a, a contribute or, you know, a, a shout out to how well designed they well, are these a days. A lot of them but, are, yeah. So my cutoff for me, um, and I went through one that really pushed the limits. I got a little worried about coming back out on a caribou hunt last year. But uh, it is usually like my front rack. Because um, it's, it's about the same, the same height mm-hmm. as the seat, you know. And so it's a, a very similar thing. I believe my, my air filter is, is in the same spot, but as long as the water's not coming over the top of my wheeler where it's under my rack, you know, I'm usually okay. Um, now again, I don't bomb through 
deep areas like that, you know, take it slow, go, go fast enough that you're pushing that water yeah, and creating moving. that V. Right. You don't want to stop, but you also don't want to bomb through it so fast that you're actually pushing the water up over yourself either. Right. Um, that's one important thing to realize. Uh, a quick thing, um, kind of why actually, I guess the, the story of why I look at the mud the way I do these days is I was out and this was years and years ago now, but, um, I was out putzing around on my wheeler and this mm-hmm. was early spring and I was, um, looking for, looking for new areas. And I was riding this trail that came up and basically beached out on a, on a pond. And, okay. and there was, you just kind of had to ride around the pond and then it came back out on the other side. Gotcha. Um, and it was, like I said, early spring. So the water was high. Mm-hmm. That whole beach was just, you know, uh, silty. It was covered in, in water. There was, right. uh, at least six inches of water and everywhere. So I'm riding along there and I didn't really think anything of it. I was pretty young at the time and, um, I was good and good and good until I got about three quarters of the way around that pond. And then the bottom just completely just disappeared. Yeah. And I went from riding about where I say, if you're sitting on your wheeler, it was probably, I don't know, halfway up my, my muck boots or, you know, three quarters of the way up my muck boots. Um, just like, oh, this suddenly, is nice. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't bad. I was like, oh, I can clean make it my through wheeler. Here. Off. Yeah. <laughs> to being to the handlebars. And, and basically in that situation, what I tried to do, and this is probably what, you know, and it's what I was told to do if you ever do it, which makes sense is you basically just rack the top of your wheeler up as hard as you can um, to get that air filter or that mm-hmm. air intake above the water line and just keep your hand on the throttle. You want to keep that pressure going out of the exhaust tube. That way you don't lose pressure and end up back, you know, sucking water back mm-hmm. up through the exhaust. And so that's what I did. And, um, uh, just <laughs> absolutely rallied it to the other side. I was completely soaked. My wheeler was swamped. And this is my old Arctic cat way back in the okay. day. And uh, it was amazing how much damage that did to that wheeler. In the long run, I was able to limp it out. I, I, I pulled it out. I, I started going through everything, mm-hmm. making sure I was okay. Did you have um, water in your oil at all? I did, yeah. Okay, I had so you to do, started sucking water. Yep, yeah, just started sucking a little bit of water. I don't know if it came in through the, the air intake. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I was literally to the handlebars. Or if it did come back through the exhaust, I'm not sure which way it came in, but I did get water in there and I ended up having to do, I think five or six oil flushes on that one wow. to, to get that cleared out. It was bad. It was really, really milky oil. Um, and then, but that's really what, what right. taught me that you have to really pay attention to this. Cause I've never had that happen on like a, a gravelly kind of trail. Um, if you're looking at just a deep hole where it, the water mm-hmm. just happens to run and settle and it's going to be there for a week or two until it evaporates. Right. Um, but yeah, try to keep it below the, the, at least the headlights, I would say on your wheeler. If you're, if you're over the headlights, probably time to back out, find another trail around. Um, because that can cause a world of hurt for your machine. And these things are not cheap. No, like we pointed out, I mean, it's, it's something to keep in mind that, yeah, um, I believe in the, in the pilot world, um, they say a lot of wrecks, uh, airplane wrecks are caused by, uh, get their itis. Um, and uh, I've heard. (laughs) <laughs> Several pilots say that, but, uh, you know, you can really mess your wheeler up the same way. If you're mm-hmm. just trying to get to a certain point and you don't think about how you're going to get there, you can end up swamping your wheeler right. 10, 15 miles in, and that's not good for anybody. That's actually a perfect story for what I was going to lead into next, because 
you know, and once again, if you've got, if you're going through a spot that has bottom, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a whole other part of this is crossing creeks. Yeah. And, and I'll, and I'll yeah. talk about in, in rivers and I'll talk about that in a minute. But that's where like where when your air intake is in the back, like behind the seat or under the seat, the kind of situation you were in, mm-hmm. you would have probably stopped and dead in the water. Right. When you're going through the water, if you start to suck water, if you think you're sucking water mm-hmm. and you're not close to the bank, kill your wheeler. Yeah. Shut it off. So it stops sucking water. Yep. Because if you stuck enough water, you'll destroy your machine very quickly. Yeah. Um, it's a lot better to have to haul it to the shoreline than it is. It's a lot better to hike out. And yeah. I did hike out like eight miles one time, not because my wheeler was swamped, but because my battery was dead. Oh, no. It was not related to the stator <laughs> issue, but uh, make sure your battery's charged, people. And if you have to winch a lot, don't shut your wheeler off right after you winch. <laughs> just you, a tip right there. You know, I started <laughs> replacing my battery about every two years, just just preemptively. It's a good idea just it's to like check a, it. I think it's like, what, 120 bucks for Something a wheeler like battery. It's a good idea it's, to load test it. You yeah. Know, and, and just, you know, I run a, I now know all the numbers the multimeter is supposed to say because dealing with the stator and everything. Mm-hmm. So if I don't see those right, like that's when, yeah. I'll st- you know, I'm starting to look at that. But back to the water. Um, when you're, there's a couple of, so you were crossing like a lake, but you had bottom. Mm-hmm. At the start, yeah. You're right. Well, and, and it didn't necessarily, it wasn't even necessary that you lost the solid ground. You just, it just, the water got a lot deeper. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so when you know you have solid ground, you can ease in carefully. Mm-hmm. Now, if you drop off a ledge, you don't have the time to get out. Right. And so knowing what that is beforehand, if you can possibly figure it out, mm-hmm. right? Running, the, trying not to run that risk. Um, because, yeah, only thing you can do, and now a newer wheeler with big tires on it, most of the time, when you get to that situation, instead of you throttle out and you try to rack the top of it back, but you can't, you know, mm-hmm. the older ones were hard to do, right? Yeah. My wheeler, if I'm in the parking lot and I pin it, it'll stand right up, right? Right. Especially if I've got some weight on the back. If you're on water, the effect is so much easier to get. And when you're in water, the front tires cause flotation. Right. And so you pin it and you just kind of bring that front up. So mm-hmm. with, I had a similar situation happen. It was kind of a swamp, real swampy spot. Trail looked like people were, well, nobody had ridden the trail in a long time. And I was actually out just in a local area riding mm-hmm. for fun just because I just was exploring some trails and want, you know, where's this one go kind of thing. And I get to this spot. It's a swamp, swampy, wet area. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, let me go over to this side. It looks like the better spot to cross. So I go over that way. Side I was on was real swampy, but the other side was kind of this bank and it got up into bigger trees. So I start crossing and I still had, I had the rack and everything on, on the back of the time. I start crossing, it's getting there, it's getting there, but it's real swampy, mm-hmm. not much bottom. So I'm just carefully, slowly crossing. Well, I get to a spot and it starts getting too deep. When it's real swampy, you don't have the option of reversing because right. you probably just, you just want to keep moving. So I just started pinning it more. I was able to keep the front end up mm-hmm. without gunning it super hard able to keep the front end up kind of float my way across yeah. kind of you know just roll the way across got over to the far bank got pulled up it was able to stop there mm-hmm. jump out grab my winch it was too the bank was just too steep to climb so i grabbed my winch winch to a tree mm-hmm. and pulled and got the wheeler to ride out of out of the creek and i took a different trail out yeah. um, but well, the other thing that happened with that is i had a chainsaw dewalt 20 volt chainsaw on the back had it in the rack I pulled up, I had it parked on the, um, up on the bank like that, mm-hmm. and the rear of the wheeler was still in the water, and I'm getting the winch hooked up, and I get, and I look over my wheeler, and I look down, and I see my rack, and the rack is underwater, and I see <laughs> bubbles oh, no. of the chainsaw. <laughs> Surprisingly, it still worked for like a month, and then it just quit. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I dried it out and then it, and it worked for a little while and then it just quit. Yeah. I bought another one now, but corrosion took over. Yeah. It yeah. just, it was, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, with the deep water like that now creeks, I don't know if you have much experience with deep creeks mm. or rivers at all crossing a little bit. Um, there's one Creek I've crossed a lot and it fingers out in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. If you've got a Creek that fingers out, that's where you cross it because it's shallower in those spots. Right. If it's got a spot where it looks like it drops into a spot, don't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was riding through a creek one time and kind of riding up and down this deeper spot of it. It was a gravel. It was all gravel. No, Mm -hmm. no worries about the bottom dropping out except for there might be a drop off. So I'm riding back and forth and I'm just trying to clean all the mud out of my wheeler because I'd been up in the kind of alpine country Mm -hmm. and covered in mud and grass. And let me get this thing cleaned out. Let me get this radiator cleaned out. So I'm riding back and forth. So now I, and I turned around and I'm riding downstream and the spot, it kind of drops down. I thought, well, that should be a little deeper. Let me drop into that and that'll really get a good flush out and then I'll keep riding. Well, I start to ride into it and I can feel it just start to dropping off. Mm-hmm. So I kind of ride to the side and my wheeler's at a steep angle into the creek sideways, kind of side hilling in mm-hmm. the water and it's getting deep and I don't, you know, I'm just trying to ride out. Well, all of a sudden my wheeler shuts off and Ooh. I'm, you know, and, and the water kind of pushed me out. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm sitting on dry ground right next to the creek there, and my wheeler was shut off, and it wouldn't start. You know, just, just turn it over, but it's not starting. So, mm. hmm. Thankfully, I wasn't too far from camp. My dad had an Argo, and we actually ended up running into a person that my dad had met out there that had a side-by-side. And so the guy with the side-by-side, you know, pulls me out and pulls me up the hill to camp. And yep. we get looking, and there was water, and the water went up the tailpipe. Exactly yeah. what you're saying. There wasn't, there, the water was moving so fast. There wasn't enough pressure on it. It just sucked, you know, just poured right up the tailpipe, got in everything. That's yep. when I swamped it. So watch out for those spots. Look for fingers. Um, if you can see the bottom, mm-hmm. you can easily just slowly ride in. If it's a wider creek, let me take, let me give you the example of the Little Chena. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's spots where trails go around the Little Chena all the time, or even the Chattanooga. They're both mm-hmm. local rivers and creeks, or rivers around Fairbanks. And if you're out riding around those, um, or a river like that, you can, there's a lot of places where there's steep banks and stuff you can't really drop in, but there's a lot of places where there's shallow banks and mm-hmm. that you can ride right into them. The Chena is very silty. Yeah. You can't cross the Chena with a wheeler anywhere that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Chena, you got to be careful with. It's very silty, but both the little Chena and the Chattanooga I found are very rocky mm-hmm. in most yeah. places. And, and, and there's places where they're real wide. And you could ride right across them if you can get into them. And I've crossed the little Chena before with my wheeler. And I was able to ride in. I was able to look. I was able to pay attention. And with a creek, the whole like pushing water thing doesn't really apply. No, it doesn't. Because the water's moving past. So it just kind of negates that effect. So I rode in. I was able to real carefully watch and look and like, all right, there's a deep spot here. Let me see if I can get through it. Is it touching my seat? Yeah, like I said, that's just kind of my cutoff, mm-hmm. especially in a creek. Um, and another thing is all, if, if your electronics aren't up under your handlebars, they're under your seat. Yeah. And most wheelers have both. Yep. And if you get the water and all that, it'll just cause problems for the rest of the life of the wheeler. It will. Yeah. Um, you know, the reason I haven't snorkeled my wheeler is cause yes, it would give me more peace of mind and I've thought about doing it just for that. But at the same time, I don't want the added, I don't want to then think, oh, I can get through that. Well, and yeah. Soak stuff I shouldn't soak. Because there's, there's more than just the air. 
intake that can right. get swamped, right? right. So well, if like I snorkeled it, I would bring the belt thing up. It would all, I would bring all that up. Yeah. The reason I haven't snorkeled is not because I don't think it would work, mm-hmm. but I really don't want to lose that cargo space. So um, you can, if all I did was snorkel, at least with my wheeler, I mm-hmm. could bring the snorkels up right in front of the handlebars. It wouldn't really lose any space. Okay. Yeah. Now, I don't like the radiator relocation for mm-hmm. cargo space. Like, it's kind of like, well, I could relocate the radiator, and yeah, it would cool off better and all this kind of stuff, but I lose... Your whole front rack. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's like you got those Can-Ams, whatever the new... The, it's one of the out, one of the big Outlanders, and mm-hmm. it's got the... It comes with a rack built with the radiator on top, which is great if all you do is mud, but if you ever try to take anything anywhere... Yeah. It sucks. Yep. But, you know, and I know somebody that has one and all they do is ride and good mm-hmm. for them. It sounds like fun. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to swamp any of that other stuff. So it's really important when you're getting into a creek or, or any kind of a, a smaller body of water, right. right? Don't try to cross a river, but that should go without saying, um, is to have a plan A, mm-hmm. plan B, and plan C. Because <laughs> one thing I've found, so I'll just lead with this. When you go to cross a moving body of water, right? unless it's extremely shallow, and I'm talking like you can see the rocks mm-hmm. barely underneath the water, don't try to cross straight. You know, don't try to cut yeah. directly across yep. that because then you're fighting the current. The best practice, if there's not like an established way to cross, right? Some of these trails already have, right. you know, very obvious entrances and exits from, from the creek crossings. But some of them don't, especially if you're looking for a bear bait or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a moose camp that nobody else is going to be around, right? You're going to be where other people haven't been, um, is to angle yourself with the flow of the water. Right. Um, so if, if you start upstream, try to find a little a spot where you're going to exit downstream. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. I'm not talking about a lot. You don't want to be riding, you know, with the current, but just not fighting the current quite as much. Kind of let the water push you across. Right. Um, the other thing is, if you can, and this is part of deciding where you should cross this creek, is try to find a backup exit spot as well. Yeah. Just in case you hit one of those deeper pits like you were talking about. Because, you know, the, the, the floor of a creek is not always the it's same even, depth no, all the way it, across. It never is. And there's very commonly areas where it just, for some reason, gets you know, two feet deeper in this right. one well, little there's hole. There's an eddy in a corner and it's 10 feet deep and the rest of the creek's two feet deep. Right. And, and I'm not exaggerating. And if you look across and you're like, I'm going to exit right there between these two birch trees or whatever, right? And you're, that's your goal. That's where you're trying to go. Mm-hmm. And you realize that it eddies out right there and you're going to have that, that 10 foot deep spot right in front of there that you didn't realize from the other side. Right. You want to be able to deviate off that course and have a nice solid backup plan. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a perfect world scenario. Right. It's not always going to play out that good, but the idea is to preemptively figure out what can go wrong and what you're going to do when it goes wrong. Um, Brian said it great in, I think he said it in this last episode, but the paranoid survive. And I love that statement. If you are constantly thinking about what's going to go wrong, what's going to happen, not being afraid of it, but just planning, you know, having an A, B, C, D, E, F, G plan, then you're always going to be okay. You're always going to know what to do. Mm-hmm. So, and with crick crossings, that's really important, I think, because a lot of people get swamped out and, and crick specifically because like you said, it, you can't push the water out of your way. It's gonna, if you drop into one of those holes and you're trying to fight the current, it's, I mean, you can literally get pushed down, yeah. down you the creek. You better hit that like, kill switch and just yeah. hope your wheeler stops and doesn't roll over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I've known people that have lost their wheelers in, yep. in moving water and it's, it's, it's a scary thing. So take it seriously. 
a lot of times you'll ride up to a creek and like I said, you can ride right into it there. But mm-hmm. the other side, it's such a steep bank and the water's deep over there and there's no way to get out. So you don't even try. Yeah. Well, you look, especially when you can see in the water, and this is the way that I crossed the Little Chena that one time. And, and most of the time you can't cross the Little Chena. They just happened to be low enough that one time. But mm-hmm. um, there was a spot in this creek where you could see where the channel had kind of pushed the water. And like you say, it's not equivalent depth across. And you, a lot of times where a creek transitions, you know, it'll go from high bank, low bank, high bank, low bank, back and forth. Mm-hmm. So if you're on a low bank and you can ride in, you look on the other side of the creek. And if you can see another low bank, mm-hmm. a lot of times there's a transition point where it just the water kind of evens out and it doesn't get too deep between those. And mm-hmm. it may be a diagonal. It may be with the water. You may ride into the creek, mm-hmm. ride down the creek, drop through just a little bit of a deep spot and ride out. Yep. You know, and you may ride right on top of this middle spot of the creek where, and there's a creek I've crossed many times like this, where you can't, you can't, you, if you go any, if you go to the right, mm-hmm. Jesus, uh, that's going to suck because <laughs> your, your wheel is going to float away or sink to the bottom, one or the yeah. other, but you just ride in, you ride across, and you can usually find a spot to ride out that way. And it's a great tip. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've gotten through a lot of places where everybody else has turned around that way. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so with all of these, these methods that we're talking yep. about here, though, when you are obviously crossing a creek mm-hmm. or going through just a, a very wet trail, maybe you do have a little bit of bottom, but you got, you know, maybe it, it came out from under you, right? right. You're, you're high centered on something. Maybe you don't have bottom and you're just crazy like me and or you're, decides you're going to get back in there. Or you're going through through some swamp. And, and you know, we talked about seeing those things up in caribou country, but man, there's a there's a spot where I bait that you come around and you're on, it's a fairly nice trail mm-hmm. up to this point, you know, some washouts here and there and whatnot, but you come around this corner and you look to your left and there's just nothing but grass and tundra swamp and no yep. bottoms or anything like that. And not a lot of people go that direction. And I feel like a lot of the reason is because even if they know these methods to get through it, especially if they're alone, well, I don't want to get stuck down here. I don't want to get stuck yep. 10 miles from my truck, 15 miles from my truck. But the moose is on the other side of that. Right. You know, the bears are on the other side of that. Like, if you want to be successful, you got, that's where you got to go. Um, so using these tips to get across all that stuff works some of the time. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> But sometimes there's just nothing you can do. Right. Like, like I said, in that instance where I, I swamped my wheeler in a pond, there was, I couldn't tell that the silt was going to completely wash out underneath me. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're rolling through swampy tundra, there's no way of knowing how right. deep that next hole is that you're about to roll over. Um, sometimes you just get bottomed out. You get high-centered. You know, Wheelers yeah. sit fairly high, but they're not super high. No. Number one way a wheeler gets stuck is high-centered. Yep. Um, so go over couple i know you have some very interesting stories of getting out <laughs> things like that, that we've talked about off the air um so share a couple of those and then like just common methods um of getting unstuck in swampy country okay so most often time i've been stuck is either like i said high centered so you can get real quick you can get stuck real easy in a place with lots of bottom just mm-hmm. because all the big guys with the big canams like we were talking about yeah. roll through and they've just ripped ruts mm-hmm. in these holes and all the ground around them is hard the ground between where the tires was is hard and you roll in there and boom you're stuck. Yeah. Okay. If you have a winch and you have a strap, yeah, your winch may be underwater <laughs> and it sucks, but you can get yourself out. Mm-hmm. Even by yourself, it's not that hard to do. Yep. Okay. That's easy. Um, but let's say you're rolling through a spot. Like I said, like, like me, you decide, you find this trail. It's an old dozer line or 
It's an old survey line, mm-hmm. and it's out in the middle of swampy country. And you can tell people used to ride it, but nobody's ridden it for a long time. Maybe it's because you got across a creek that nobody else is crossing or something. Mm-hmm. And you get back there and you're riding and everything seems fine, but you can't really tell where to ride because nobody else has been back there. But that's also the reason you can be back there. <laughs> right. And, you know, and you come to a spot that you could just, you know, y- you're sure you can't cross it. So you you go around through the trees and you bust your way through and you mm-hmm. get out and then you find a spot that you think you can cross. You know, there's somewhere in there you can cross. And so you mm-hmm. try and there's, and you just learn, you try to go by grass you try to go by bushes and all these things, but you get stuck. Mm. And this is why I have rope because most of the time these places, there's not trees everywhere. No. If there were, the ground would be a lot more solid. And if there are trees, they're very, very small. Yes. So you can easily, I've plucked trees out of the, out mm-hmm. of the ground with my winch multiple times. Yep. And uh, so there's a couple tips and tricks. Even if you're on one wheeler, but you've got two people, mm-hmm. uh, you wrap that winch or strap around the bottom of a tree, you're mm-hmm. winching yourself out. If you hold the top of that tree and pull it back, root base will have a little more strength. Yeah. Whereas if you pull a tree over, it'll tug that root base right out. Yep. And there's times that even with like my dad and his Argo, we've gotten it out that way. I've grabbed the top of that tree and just pulled it over and he switched to it and had just enough oomph mm-hmm. to get it out before it ripped the tree. Yeah. There's another time he had a, his wheeler. He got stuck in the, when my wheeler had died in this spot and uh, with the battery thing, with the winch. And I hiked out, but since hiking out, my dad had tried to come in. He hadn't been in the spot before he tried to come in and get me, and he took the wrong trail. And the trail he took <laughs> was um was very swampy. Yeah. No, you know, and he just, he went into a hole that looked fine, and he was buried. He was literally in the mud. Tires were under the mud. Mm-hmm. Couldn't see the tires. You know, you could see the plastic and the rack and everything else. It was just, it was just, and it was just, that's all you could see. It wasn't like it was in water like that. It was just right. like tundra up to that. Just <laughs> sunk. He was there. Yeah. So he hikes out. <laughs> he wasn't that far in, thankfully. So the next day, he come, we go out there with his Argo. Mm-hmm. We go to get that, tr- that wheeler out because his Argo can float and get through a lot of stuff, you know? Yeah. So we back up to the wheeler, hook onto the wheeler. Um, he's got his Argo 4,500 pound winch and he's winching to like a four or five inch tree that he pulls out. <laughs> like... To get this wheeler out. Um, anyhow, and, and that's where a lot of this stuff comes in. Oh, mm-hmm. big thing in the swamp. If you're stuck that bad, like he was stuck. Yeah. And I'll use this as my number one example. Um, no, he wasn't getting it out by himself. No. Right. Winches feet below the water. And that's what we did. We had to dig the winch out and get to it. But be, if you're out there by yourself and you're like that, if you can get to your winch. Mm. Um, and I had a, a something kind of similar, not swampy, where I got stuck and... Um, I couldn't winch to anything, but instead of winching straight to a tree to pull out, because then you're just pulling the bottom of your wheeler against the side of the swamp. Right. And it's just, unless you move all that swamp, it's not going to go anywhere. You winch up. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've used my come along to pick up the front of my wheeler so yeah. it'll drive out of something. And, and I think we ended up doing some of that. We got to the point where we can get the edge of the wheeler up and we can get the tires kind of out and mm-hmm. slowly just start. You work one side up and you get it out. Um, that, that's what we did in that situation. But, you know, what had happened with me is I took what I thought was the best way through a mud hole and um, it wasn't. Now I got stuck and it just was too swampy. Mm-hmm. So I grabbed my winch and a strap and a rope and had just enough stuff to get out and I'm winching and I get it out. And, you know, just you winch and you're careful and you winch. And like I said, 
you're winching a lot, don't shut off your wheeler. Mm-hmm. Let the wheeler run. Let the battery recharge. That's my number one tip, right? Yeah. Because well, you're uh, using the power off yes, of it. Yes, yeah. you are. Yeah, you're so, draining more power than mm-hmm. that thing's producing when you're pulling with that winch because it's yeah. not a big battery. No, it's and not. And typically, you've got at least a 2,500-pound winch, which is a minimum in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're draining a lot of juice. And it really sucks. Yeah. To lose... <laughs> winch or to lose to, to for your wheeler to die mm-hmm. uh the come along um one one big thing i've used in a really bad spot is i found a dead pole like spruce pole mm-hmm. um that was like 10 feet long and i shoved it down in the mud next to the front of my wheeler i took my come along i wrapped the cable and a strap around the top of the pole and because those dead spruce poles can be really strong if they're not rotten. right and I hooked to my rack on my wheeler and I just used that come along to pick up my front of my wheeler like a foot and a half. Mm-hmm. And that's, and then I was able to get that thing to come out because the front was down in there yeah. in, the, in the hole and the machine wasn't coming out. Well, and, and with that, I mean, when you're trying to pull yourself straight through, like you're saying, without lifting mm-hmm. the top up, um, you can actually end up burying yourself more you where can. it starts pushing all of that stuff over the top of your wheeler and over getting the yourself, top or just building up in front right, of it. Right. And just getting more stuck. Right. And I've actually winched out backwards before. Yep. Where I wrapped the kind of just wrapped the wheel, winch around the wheeler, mm-hmm. and I think I had a rope at the time. You can't really with the winch rope. You wouldn't want to do that with a steel. Can't cable, really do probably. it with the cables. And yeah. I've thrown around developing a kit to like cut into the plastic on your wheeler, oh, which you yeah. put in so you could have runners or rollers to run your oh, winch you cable through. Mm-hmm. You know, it, because it, it and do it in such a way that it runs through the rollers and it hooks around at the hitch mm-hmm. and pulls straight backwards. Yeah, because there's a lot of times when you're stuck in a spot and the only way out is backward. Yep. And I, I know guys that have mounted winches on the back of like I, their side by sides too. and things yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, you can get the kits where the winch can either hook in the front or you can pull it off and hook it in the back. The problem with that is if you're stuck that bad and you can't use the winch on the front, you probably can't get the winch off in the front. Right. right? There's yeah. just too much mud and mess. Yep. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll come out with that kit now that we've got a platform to sell it on. There you but, go. <laughs> um, but. I don't know if, this, if you have any other questions about the swamp and getting out. I mean, it's just a lot of it's just, well, a lot of it is learned by. Yeah. So have you, I, I know one way that I've, I've used and, and heard a lot of people having success with is when you, all you have is those real small trees all the way around yeah. you, right? The little, real little ones. Um, like you said, with the, the root balls are normally have a little bit more uh, strength to them. If you're pulling like directly against them, against them. pulling them over. Yeah. Right. And, and so one easy way to do that is to find a, a stick or a log or something that mm-hmm. you can put behind it, especially if you can find multiple oh, ones yeah, that, that, are, that, are, that are together. Um, try to basically lash that on the back what, in whatever way possible. I'm not saying a fancy lashing mm-hmm. knot, whatever, but like just keep it from sliding up the tree essentially right? and use that as an anchor to where you're relying on multiple of those rip balls to get yourself out. You still might, yeah. still might rip it out of the ground, but That'll give you the, the, the highest you strength. It might get you a couple more feet. Um, and keeping it as low on that tree as possible is, is really the key. You want yes. to keep it as low, close to the Correct. ground, so you're not ripping anything straight out. It has to pull sideways out of it. Do you have any experience, and I've never used one of these, but I've seen them, and I've thought about getting one, but Tundra Anchors? I haven't used one. Mm-hmm. I have been in a situation where I've used, let's see, I had a buddy who found wasn't a tundra anchor it was like a concrete stick that's all it was it was like mm. a concrete stick which isn't much but he found one of those he got stuck and he happened to find one like where he needed to winch to and <laughs> nice. he pulled himself out and threw it in his argo um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but 
I haven't used one of those particularly. What I have done is I've um, I've strapped. I a lot of times I'll carry something in my wheeler, even mm-hmm. if it's a spade yeah. that I can sh- punch sh- punch into the ground and get like you get that six inches and then mm-hmm. do it again and get that six inches more. Um, but I have wrapped around several small trees. Like you've got you mm-hmm. know, three, four foot trees, and they might be a foot apart or three feet apart. But I just wrap around all of them with my strap. Yeah, that way they're all all combined strength together. Right. Another thing I've done one time I was riding up in high country, kind of in one of the valleys in between the ridges, like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And and it was a big drainage area. And, um, and we, uh, and anyhow, and I was riding along and I was glassing for moose. And when you've got these big drainage areas, typically there's kind of what forms in the bottom of, you kind of get this kind of Canyon in the bottom and you get smaller little Mm -hmm. things that form towards them. And it was all tussocks and open grassy area riding along. And, I didn't see this one because it was all tussocks and grass going out into it. Usually there's some trees and it gets darker. This mm-hmm. one didn't. And I was right on the edge of where the water started to run in. And I found a hole and I just put my wheeler over. And it threw me off and was on its side, on the side of this hill now, sideways down. Now, I'm not going to roll it over the top, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no way. My wheeler weighs 700 pounds dry, right? right. There's no way I'm going to pick that thing up and upright it. So trying to figure out anyway there was one tree there but it was the wrong direction mm-hmm. right and so i what i ended up doing was i took my winch got the max width length out of it i had i don't know if i i may have tried i think i had a strap with me but the strap wasn't really doing it i wrapped the strap around i found a big tussock which is those balls of like grass and that kind of grow up mm-hmm. not sure why they form that way but that's the way they form yeah, it is kind of interesting. I don't know if it's the grass or the, the grass the, and the water. The way the water is just Yeah. It may be because of permafrost going, so they grow up higher or something. Yeah. I'm sure somebody listening could tell us why. But <laughs> um anyhow, we so I tried wrapping the strap around it and the strap just kept slipping off the top of the tussock. So I finally wrapped the cable around it and the cable cinched on it. Mm. There was enough there. I was able to use the combined winch and my strength to get the wheeler back upright. <laughs> so there's, al- so, so, there's always something to winch, but that's why you uh, bring rope. Mm-hmm, and yeah. a tundra anchor, honestly, I need to add one of those things to my... I, I want to try one out. I think I might order one. Maybe but... we should uh, contact them for a sponsorship, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll put it to a lot of use. Yeah. No, but really, I mean, just having those basic things with you and yep. having a little bit of creativity is really the biggest thing, I think, in getting out is, you know, being able to look around you and be creative with how you get out. Right. And, and honestly... My recommendation to any listeners right now um, would be go on like YouTube or, you know, any of these video things and you can search basically methods of getting out. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of different ones. Ones I'm not going to necessarily recommend, but ones I'll say I've seen is like people wrapping their, uh, their uh, ratchet straps around the tire. Right, to give you that little bit of like, you I've basically have the handle of yep. the ratchet strap as added traction. I have ratchet strapped logs to my tires. I was going to say that, yeah, ratchet strapping logs to your tires, things like that. Um, just anything to kind of break up the the s- smoothness of that hole yeah. you're in, I guess. You know, you're basically, you're cutting a groove in, in the tundra with your tires that you then can't get out of. Right. Anything to break that up and kind of give yourself a little bit more traction Correct. there is, is a good option. Um, again you do have a very high probability of damaging something when you're doing that yeah. stuff. You Sometimes know, you wanna... you're stuck so bad that it, yeah. you get to some point, you just don't care. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it's one of those things where like, if you just really have to get out of there, you're way too far to walk mm-hmm. back. You know, you, you maybe you didn't come out prepared to spend the night or anything like that. If you did get stuck, 
um, then yeah, whatever you've got to do to get out. Otherwise, you know, be careful when you're sticking sticks and things like that in the wheel. Right. You're around your tires, around your wheels. There's a lot of things in there that you can get ripped up and damaged and things that can cause mm-hmm. very expensive repairs. Um, but there's always a creative method to get out there. So don't let the fear of being stuck keep you from going to places. Yeah. Don't yeah. let the that that kind of anxiety that can that can be, you know, you're looking around, you know nobody's right. gonna come to get you. Just there's always a way to get out. Right. Well, there's always know. a way to make it out. And you know, if it's really that bad, then it's really that bad. But you're never going to know until you try. And most of the time, it's not going to be that bad. Yeah. So just Let's, try it. You'll be happy you did. And when you kill the moose on the other side of that swamp, you're going to be really happy. <laughs> until you have to get across the swamp. <laughs> you have to get out, back but, across the swamp. But you got the moose nobody else was willing to go to. Right. Now, speaking of moose season, though. Yeah. Later in the season, swamps aren't necessarily gone. But a lot of these areas we've been talking about, this was kind of more towards spring mm-hmm. riding and things like that, where things are a lot more saturated. Things have dried up a little bit. Most Trails, of the time. Most of the time, unless you're in that, that lower swamp body or even some of those yep. higher caribou countries. I mean, the, the swamp I was talking about, I mean, that was in uh, late August, early September. Yep. Yep. You know, so I mean, there are definitely still some around. Um, but in the springtime, I feel like more people run into them because that's just the place you're at looking for bears, right? You're in the lower right, country. Right. You're trying to get to those, those lower spots. Um, the offside of that is when you're looking for sheep, caribou, moose, things like that. You're trying to get into the higher country. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of trails around here that are extremely steep. Um, these mountain trails, it's... <laughs> Man, when I first moved here, I'm from Kansas. Mm-hmm. Okay, there ain't steep nothing in Kansas. <laughs> Never been there, but that's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. It's it a lot just, like North Dakota. Very much so. Just, okay. no, no, yeah. I, I just mean the land. That, that whole center stretch there, really, yeah. uh, you know, from North Dakota all the way down through. You get a little bit of mountains in like Oklahoma. Um, there's right. a little bit of mountainous terrain there. Um, and then it flattens back out and goes into Texas. But um yeah there's nothing nothing steep down there so when i first came up here and i'm starting to look at these trails and look at you know getting out in the mountains it looks like a lot of these people just yep that's the way i'm going and just straight up the hill no no switchbacks no nothing and you know because that's the established trail that's the way everybody goes Mm -hmm. and it can be a very fun adventure it can be very exhilarating um i'm not gonna say it's my favorite honestly (laughs) i really don't like steep trails um, but a lot of that comes from seeing the damage that mm-hmm. being irresponsible on those kinds of trails can cause. Um, you know, you can easily roll your wheeler, flip your wheeler, things like that, where you're, oh, you're damaging never done that. <laughs> right? But the damage you can cause, yeah. it, and I'm not so much worried about me personally, you know, hurting myself, which I mean, you can get very hurt, but I'm more worried about that machine that I can't replace if it gets broken you know if it's if i roll that thing down a hill yeah the insurance might kick in but you know how long is that going to take that's going to ruin my season yeah so knowing the right way to both ascend and descend very steep trails is important when you're going into your fall season um i mean springtime can be too springtime can be especially bear baiting with a lot of weight on your wheeler yeah, I just haven't really found myself in very steep areas on, during bear baiting. Um, there's one area I've been to where there's just this random right. steep decline. Um, even and the rest of the trail is relatively flat, but it's just this random, you can get off the hill in the most direct way possible. Yep. <laughs> but um, 
But so the, the first thing I'll say with steep is, and we're going to go a little bit out of order here, but balancing the load on your wheeler mm-hmm. is very important on steep stuff. Um, you, if you're rolling out with say a full caribou and you've got to climb a, a peak to get out of there to come down the other side, you do not want that whole caribou on the back of your wheeler. Um, no, <laughs> no. See, that's one of the things my dad likes about his Argo. He can throw a whole moose in the back of that Argo. Oh yeah. It's, the weight's all low mm-hmm. and he can climb and descend just about anything. You know, I've heard those Argos do surprisingly well on steep stuff. Um, does it, he have the eight by eight or the six by six? Eight by eight. Yeah. And the reason they do so well is they're wide, they're long, and they've got a low center of gravity. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. the problem with riding wheelers and steep stuff and why balancing is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And and the thing is, I mean, when, when we're talking about steep, I mean, there's some stuff that people ride that they think is steep um, where they just kind of have to lean forward a little bit. Um, what I'm talking about is when you're standing on the rear fenders <laughs> and you have your belt buckle over yeah. the, the you're leaning over your the, handlebars leaning yeah. over the handlebars yeah and that's that's what i consider steep that's right and you know it's it's really it's not a hard thing to do i think a lot of people are intimidated by it um but as long as you understand balance and you understand the method to get up there it's right. not that hard to do at all the most important thing is one try not to stop because <laughs> the second you stop you're going to lose your momentum don't and, turn on the hill don't turn on the hill. Now, some of them you have to. Well, if the, that's the way the trail um, goes. Yeah. But that's the, that's the riskiest spot because especially with the full independent suspension, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of guys love Honda Formans. Yeah. Because they've got a rear straight axle. I hate Honda Formans because they've got a rear straight axle. <laughs> because it's rough as can be. You've mm-hmm. got far less ground clearance. I'm sure people aren't going to like me saying that. I actually know some people who used to all run Honda Foreman's and a lot of them don't anymore. Yeah. Right. Because they started riding other stuff. I'm like, wait, this is actually really nice. Yeah. But it, you know, when you're riding steep stuff, mm. they do have an advantage. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, so with turning on a hill, like you say, sometimes you have to, usually yeah. the trail goes that way. But mostly what I mean is you don't go halfway up a steep hill, mm-hmm. decide it's too steep and turn around. Right. Yeah. Because as soon as you turn, Yep. You're going to roll. Exactly. It's just going to flip right over. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, I was out bear baiting two weeks ago, putting one in, trying to pick my way through a spot. And there's a little spot, a little bit of slightest little side hill can't. Mm-hmm. I was on the wheeler, had 50 pounds of dog food, had a 50 pound jug of grease, and had another guy on the wheeler with me. He's running, got a guy running camera for me this year. And I'm riding across the, uh, I ride through this spot and I look and I'm like, hey, there's a little rock there, kind of a high spot, kind of a low spot, but it should be fine. It's not that, it's not steep in here or anything. Mm-hmm. So I start to roll over it and front tire fine, other front tire fine, other rear tire, and over we go. We both jump really? off the wheeler. It rolls over upside down. Yeah. We grab it, flip it over the rest of the way, you know, stand it up and it was fine and nothing, none of us got hurt, but it was just, it's amazing with, especially with. High, and that's that's where it comes to high center of gravity. Mm-hmm. ATV has to begin with. Right. You put yourself on it, it's no. got a lot higher center of gravity. You start strapping meat to the handlebars, mm-hmm. not the handlebars, but to the to the racks. Yep. Got an even higher center of gravity. Yeah. And and honestly, most of the time when you are having to turn on a steep hillside, it's usually because there's just a big boulder that happened to be in the way. Yeah, yeah. And so people have just started adapting to go around it. Or you're going to flatten out on a little section, just a real thin yeah, section. Yeah, and you switchbacks or something. And yeah, and the trail just kind of shoots off to the left or the right and then continues up the hill. Um, in those instances, it's usually okay to turn just mm-hmm. because that's the way the trail was has been established. P- 
people have done it and it's been worn in kind of to a spot where right. you're not really going to flip side hilling. But you have to keep in mind what kind of wheeler device you're talking about. We've been talking mostly about four-wheeling. If you have a full cab side-by-side, your center of gravity is even higher. Oh, because it depends on the side-by-side. It depends on the side-by-side. Some of them are quite a bit lower. But the thing, when you have that full cab is what Mm -hmm. I'm getting at, you have a lot of weight up above your head. Those cabs are heavy. Um, They're... There, you especially if you get the full glass, you know, especially some of these new Can Ams like the Defenders and whatnot with the full right. cabs. Um, my buddy has one, and they don't side hill for anything. Um, it is he's very careful about it because it is high up off the ground. It does sit high enough to get right. through a lot of right. that swampier, but there's so much weight high up on that machine that it's just going to tip right over. Uh-huh. Um, and if you've got yourself out there you really want to be careful if you've got you know family out there with you or buddies out there with you all in the machine you really really want to be careful um but the most important thing is just make sure you're understanding balance you know and power Mm -hmm. um make sure your wheeler is balanced to where you have almost equal weight in the front as the rear or if you can't do that a little more weight in the front than in the rear yeah especially Um, when you're climbing yeah, when you're climbing, because that'll help hold those front tires down. Um, the other important thing I would say is make sure you're in low gear always if you're on steep. Um, especially I know, on a belt drive. Especially on a belt drive. I know guys that are just madmen and they just run high gear all the time and they hit the bottom of that hill as fast as they can and just hope that yeah. momentum carries if, them up. The worst thing you can do is spin out on a hillside or stop on a hillside. Either one of those two, because stopping usually leads to spinning out. If you roll up with a bit of momentum, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you roll up, throw it in low gear, r- roll into it, and just hold steady. You don't have to go fast. Um, a lot of people try to get to the top faster because maybe it's a little uncomfortable to stand on your wheeler that way. Um, but you really want to focus on just keeping that throttle to where you have enough power to keep going. But you're not giving it so much power that you're going to spin out on the first right. loose gravel right. you find. And while you're on that hillside, don't hit the throttle yeah. hard to try to go faster because what the, that'll push, just like if you're on flat ground and you pin the throttle, mm-hmm. it stands you up. We'll do the same thing on the hillside. I've had that happen. I was, I was <laughs> going over this bank one time and it was like three feet high and you could see where a bunch of guys had climbed over it mm-hmm. and it kind of was depressed in the face of it where it kind of went in and then came back out and you went over the top. Mm-hmm. You know, but guys have been riding over it. So I ride up to it, get the front tires up on top. Buddy that was with me jumped off. I ride up to it. I uh, I get my rear tires on it, and I'm thinking, all right, if I pin the throttle, it should just launch over it. Mm-hmm. It did go over it. Um, <laughs> it. It went over it, and I was coming off of like a logging road mm. onto this trail, and it went over it, and next thing I know, I'm on my back looking up at, my, at the <laughs> wheeler, which is standing on the rear bumper up on top of the, the, uh, the hill, the little <laughs> hill I was trying to yeah. climb. It went over and it then it stood itself up and stood yep. there and I was lying on my back. Like, oh, imagine that. And he was real glad he got off. Yeah, I bet. Because I would have landed on top of him. Yeah. Anyway, which we got up there and we grabbed the front tires and tipped it down and kept going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, and some of these hills, I actually just thought about this. There was, so with turning on a hill, you know, there, there are some sections where it's designed to do that. I was on one last year and it was... Uh, me and my wife and a couple buddies going out and uh, scouting some new new territory. And there was this one spot where you were just forced to side hill, right? Mm-hmm. 
um, you, there was just no way up the original trail. So we had to cut off to the right, go up, cut back to the left. And you ended up basically perfectly 90 degrees to, to the original trail. One thing to look into when you're especially ascending is the boulders in the trail. And I'm not talking big boulders you have to look out for, but the little ones. That push um, that center that of gravity just push, a little higher. Yeah. So what happened is I was coming off that 90 degrees and I, I have power steering now because I have another story about that. But, um, and I cranked my wheels and I went to get onto the trail, but there was a boulder there that basically just brought my wheeler to a stop. And so I'm now stopped on the side of this hill sideways mm-hmm. and the whole thing just starts tipping. And luckily I was fortunate enough to be quick enough that I just jumped off, you know, the planted wheeler. my feet and yeah. just grabbed the wheeler and just held it in place. And uh, unfortunately, um, I was not alone on the wheeler. My wife was still on it. And uh, so I'm yelling her, get off, get off, get off, you know, and then so kind of her out a little bit i think but we were okay everything was okay but you know and i basically had to walk my wheeler sideways on that hill until i could get it mm-hmm. around and 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 moved around that boulder and it's it's that's a spooky situation to be in because that's really easy yep. to, like i said destroy either yourself break bones or right. a very expensive piece of equipment um the reason i like power steering now is because i've had to side hill before you have a and more control this was in <laughs> It was an old uh, uh, Arctic Cat Mud Pro 750. Big old, uh, big yeah. old machine. Mm-hmm. No power steering. And I had to side hill across this bottom, which was up the hill, not super far, but far enough we were at a slant. And I went to try and crank to the right to get mm-hmm. back up the trail. And I swear, I had my leg hooked over the seat, my entire body hanging off the side of the wheeler, mm-hmm. trying to pull that that uh handlebar right. sideways and the wheeler just decided it wanted to go downhill um it was just too much machine and it just it knew where it wanted to go and i had to really fight i got it i got it the direction i wanted to go but even me as a big dude i mean that was a lot of machine to control trying to get up there um you ended up having to play with the throttle a lot and right. try to try to get it straightened out um and uh, so power steering is, is a really big one, I will say. Power steering is, uh, it's a must for me now. Yeah. Um, yeah. My sister bought a wheeler. It's a, uh, it's, it's a brute four 650. I think it's like an 09 or something like mm-hmm. that. Great machine. Um, mm-hmm. It was one of the earlier bigger brute forces. And I think it's a great, it was kind of the precursor to what I have, mm-hmm. but she, she got for free. She swapped her steel rims with factory tires for free for aluminum rims with silverbacks. Hmm. Think thirty inch silverbacks, which are amazing tires, mm-hmm. but she doesn't have power steering, mm. so Man. she'll see what that's like. Yeah, <laughs> as long as she stays out of the hills, she should be all right. But even in the mud, <laughs> right. like you go, you try to turn and you just can't mm-hmm. because yeah. you can't crawl out of that hole because you don't have that power, that extra assist to get that thing where you need it to go. And even with power steering, sometimes you don't. Yep. But uh, with with climbing hills, for me, um, I would say I've rolled a wheeler more when. I thought I was good. Mm-hmm. And then when I was cautious. Yeah. You know, when because, you know, I haven't rolled a wheeler down steep stuff very much. Most mm-hmm. of the time, I'm being very cautious and being very careful because, like, I try to pack weight low. I try not to pack a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Try not to carry 100 pounds of dog food over that steep spot, right? Yeah. You know, and um, I like I say, you try to do your best not to turn, not to stop, all these things. 
uh, you know, a lot of times there's a spot, you know, where, all right, get off. Let me climb this. Right. <laughs> and then you climb the hill behind me and climb onto the wheel. I'm sorry. It sucks, but that's, yeah, you know, that's the way it is. And it's the best way. So we don't flip this thing trying mm-hmm. to get up it. Um, but I've rolled. So I'll just say where it was cause it's a very public trail, but I was in the white mountains mm-hmm. with a buddy and he, uh, he, he, two, two other guys, both on wheelers and they kind of rode ahead and I stopped for a moment. I was looking at something and I grabbed my water bottle to take a drink mm-hmm. and I, um, and it was kind of, it's got this kind of like mesh, rubber mesh spot. I can throw a water bottle or something the right side of my wheeler. And I took a drink and I was still kind of rolling when I took the drink. I'd started moving. And when I went to put the water bottle back, I hit the throttle and the, and I'd had an issue with one of my uh, axles or something. Mm-hmm. And the wheeler just kind of grabbed the, the tires grabbed and I wasn't holding the handlebars. So they just kind of shoved, went left. And it was in a side hill area, but the trail was flat, right? So there's steep on the left because mm-hmm. it'd been cut out on a gravel trail, just wide enough for the wheeler. And then it was pretty, you know, it wasn't terribly steep, but it was pretty steep down the right side. I could have ridden down it straight up, straight down, no problem. Right. But I, um, anyhow, when I went to put the water bottle away, it hit the throttle, tires went to the left, turned sharp left, it climbed that bank. I had just enough time to jump off the wheeler and that thing flipped itself mm. and rolled down the hill side sideways. And it was the most helpless feeling I've ever had in my life. <laughs> there I am sitting on my butt on the side of this trail, mm-hmm. watching my wheeler roll away from yeah. uh, side by side over side. And it's first roll, second roll, third roll. It's kind of almost happening in slow motion. I can all of a sudden I can see straps flying off. Mm-hmm. Then I see my rifle come loose, which was strapped to the front rack, and I can see it. I can see it lift up because the strap came off, and then it gets slammed into the wheel, and the wheeler hits the ground, and it does again. And then it. I think the. I think that stayed attached. I had a tablet I was using for my maps mm-hmm. in a back. That thing got shattered and destroyed. My handlebars were smashed in. All four racks on the corners were smashed Yo. in. I still have the same wheeler. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, it landed upright and it was still running. Yeah. No axles were bent. Like Nice. At least if they were, I didn't find it at the time. Mm-hmm. I was able to grab the handlebars and carefully pick them up. And because they were so low, I couldn't do anything with them <laughs> at the time. It kind of smashed the plastic around the... Like it's still, it's never been the same. I've put screws in. It's all kind of falling apart, but mm-hmm. like my, my display kind of just keeps falling into oh. the plastic. Um, but, and, uh, I grabbed everything and strapped it back on and mm-hmm. the rifle had a bent barrel and thankfully it wasn't a very expensive rifle. Yeah. It was a, it was a garage sale, uh, spray paint special is mm-hmm. what that one was. And anyhow, and I was able to turn the wheeler right and ride it up the hill and everybody was up there waiting for me. Went, what happened to you? Where'd you go? <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> just took a little longer. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, and when I told them what happened, they're like, no, that's not what happened. There's no way. <laughs> you yeah. see, see my wheeler. Like, look at this. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and, and it is pretty amazing how resilient wheelers are. I, I have a buddy, uh, Clay last year, he rolled his six times, I think down mine the hill. Rolled, I think mine rolled like and, eight times. And same thing. Like that, he yeah. drove his right out of there. Um, I've rolled mine several times. Um, not this one, but my, my Arctic cat. Uh, from back in the day, I rolled quite a few times, and uh, one of the times was pretty dramatic. I, I was heading down this hill, and and I I realized pretty quickly there was an obstruction in the trail, and I tried to crank sideways, and um, ended up hitting a there was like a cut on either side of the mm-hmm. of the trail. It was kind of in a divot, and so I ended up hitting that at way too fast of a speed, 
and it just like completely sent the wheeler flying. Basically, it, I went flying. I probably spun three times. I turned, looked up just in time to see the wheeler flipping through the air, coming down at me. And right. um, it actually did land on my foot, but luckily the, it was the rubber of the tire that landed on my foot, not anything else. So I didn't break anything. I was very fortunate in that instance. But kind of the same thing. I mean that that wheeler got airborne, flipped mm-hmm. around, and landed you know sideways and rolled a few more times. And same thing, just picked it right up put it back on its wheels and, and away it went. Handlebars were pretty bent up and, but I mean, they're, they're fairly resilient machines. I mean, most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it is really easy to damage one. Um, but I, th- I think as long as you're, you're careful mm-hmm. and you're, you're looking and you're just, you're not, you're not tackling these hills in a way that's careless. Right. Um, that's when you get hurt is when you're careless. Um, as long as you're looking at, looking at the boulders, looking right. at the rocks, making sure you just, you have your throttle steady, you know, um, you, like you said, you don't want to be hammering that throttle, even if it looks a little bit, maybe a little bit, if it gets super steep towards, you know, you get this one area that mm-hmm. you need to throttle up a little bit. But if you're just cruising up the side of this hill, the side of this mountain, just, just keep it slow and steady. That's the best yep. way to go. Now on the way down, um, one trick that experienced riders know, but inexperienced riders might not know is keeping your wheeler in low gear the way it affects your your gearing in the in the yep. wheels um as you start to as gravity starts to pull you down that hill it'll actually slow you down the engine brake kicks in yep. and will slow you down and it'll almost be to the point you have to hit the throttle to get down the hill yeah it keeps your um, clutch engaged yeah now if you hold off your throttle too long mm-hmm. most wheelers are this way if you hold off your throttle too long your clutch will disengage mm. and the wheeler will start to free roll right yeah and you hit your throttle a little bit, and boom, you'll start slowing down. Mm-hmm. And you don't burn up your brake, and you also don't squeeze your brakes as hard as possible and still <laughs> roll down way too fast. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I was actually just explaining this to a guy the other day. We were rolling down that mm-hmm. trail I told you about. It was kind of steep. And uh, yeah, I was like, oh, so I said, by the way, so watch this, you know, and, and I showed him exactly what happened. Now I can speed up a little with the throttle, but as mm-hmm. long as I keep it just a little bit of throttle, right. just a tiny bit, keeps the clutch engaged. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you just roll down keeps nice that and belt smooth. engaged and it just does not let it go too fast. Yep. And, you know, I had him, you know, so I know, what, you know, let's say he weighs at least 150 pounds. I weigh 200 pounds. I had hundred pounds of dog food. I had grease. I had two tree stands mm-hmm. <laughs> and we rolled right down just fine. Yep. That's a lot of weight on a wheeler. <laughs> that is a lot of weight on a wheeler. Um, I probably need new rear shocks. I haven't put rear shocks on it. I've done re- new front shocks, but yeah. A uh, story from steep country. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and a guy were riding in. This spot we'd been told was great for moose. If it was great for moose, we didn't find the spot we were told about, but <laughs> we we're trying to figure out how to get back behind a mountain. And we we're riding off of this highway. We'd park and ride in any trail we could find. And we ride in this one spot, like, hey, this looks like a great trail. And it leads, there's this one spot that led right up this steep slope up on top of this kind of plateau. I'm like, all right, let's head up there. So we head up there. It was kind of steep, it was kind of shaly. So you know, so much so that even riding up, you're kind of spitting rocks as you're going up. And mm-hmm. that's when you like say, keep the throttle steady, keep spitting rocks. Just don't hit it too far hard. You'll be fine. Yep. We roll right up. We didn't have hardly any weight, right? We just had our day packs and stuff with us at the time. We head up, we get up there, we ride around. There's no way to get any further than on this plateau. Mm-hmm. So we turn around to head down. Now, the problem was on the, from the bottom, it was very clear where everybody had gone up or a few guys had gone up from the top. It wasn't. Mm. You couldn't tell. Yep. So I picked a spot that I thought was a spot we came up, and I started heading down. 
And it got steeper and steeper and steeper. And then the shale, like where we rode up, it was way worse. It was bigger. And you know how you like, you'll walk in shale. Sometimes it'll just, just fall. You step in and your foot goes down a foot. Yeah. The other foot you step and you slide down. Yep. And it was like that. And I start going down and I'm trying to use the brake. I'm using the throw, you know, the clutch engage to keep it from going down too fast, all this kind of stuff. And I'm slowly going down and I'm getting to a spot where I can see a bunch of bushes. I'm like, great. There's going to be a drop off in the middle of those bushes. <laughs> but in that shale, I'm like barely moving, mm-hmm. trying to go down. And the wheeler starts sliding sideways from the shale. Yep. And like, I can't, you know, I'm trying to keep it turned, but it it's just wants to turn sideways. And oh man, I, you know, you know, when your sphincter split slammed shut <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I was, and I, ha- I had to let off the throttle and go way faster than I wanted to, mm-hmm. to, or let off the brakes and go way faster than I wanted to and actually give it throttle to get it straightened back out. Right. And I got down fine. And then I'm like yelling at him and waving my arms, trying <laughs> to get him to come down in the right spot. Cause we're quite a ways away and his wheeler's running. And mm-hmm. anyhow, um, what I learned from that, and this is what, this is a kind of a rule I've applied across the board, but most of the other steep riding I've done, even when it's little embankments and stuff is this. Most of the time, it's a lot easier to get up something than it is to get down something. Because when yeah. you're going up, you can control your speed and things like that. Right. You, if you need to slowly roll to a stop and slowly roll back down that hill, it might scare you to death, but you can usually do it. Right, yeah. When you're rolling down a hill, you can't back back up. No, you okay? can't. So if I can get down something, I can get up it. But I can't necessarily get back down something <laughs> very well that I can get up. And that's kind of been my rule of thumb because there are times it's easy to drop down a bank or something real quick that it's hard to climb back up without flipping the wheeler or something because you've got a load. Mm-hmm. But most of the time when it comes to extended slopes, yeah, it's the other way around. If you can get down it, mm-hmm. thumbs up, I can get back up that. Yeah. If just because I can get up it doesn't mean I'm going to have a great time coming down it. Yep. And now if it's a well-established trail, most of the time you don't have a lot to worry about. But if you're riding double, yeah, if you've got a lot of weight, that's when you really have to start worrying about it, you know? And we've talked a lot about... Or, or pulling a trailer. A lot of guys will pull a trailer. Yeah, now pulling like a trailer. A wagon. I, well, and that keeps your weight low. It and does, yeah. I've actually got an but axle that I plan it on... creates a lot more drag behind you, though. It does, but that... But once again, that keeps your center of gravity low. Mm-hmm. And you're, it's pulling that weight off the low part of your wheeler instead of the high part of your wheeler. Yeah. And I've, I've actually got a trailer or an axle that I'm wanting to build a trailer out of because mm-hmm. trailers are ridiculously expensive. Yeah specifically for that because i don't want to because i want to be able to ride in somewhere mm-hmm. and go into some of these steep areas and be able to carry the weight of camp and yeah. back out if i need to yep and not have to make multiple trips one quarter at a time or something because it's so steep right yep um and you know if we go in you know if you ride in and then do a hiking hunt even from there having that trailer for me would be amazing oh yeah no those those and it's it's amazing how well they ride on most trails. Um, but the, the issue I've seen with, with steep country with mm-hmm. trailers is one, making sure that your wheeler has the power to pull it up the hill. Um, yeah. a lot of guys rolling around with like the four fifties or the four hundreds and things like that probably shouldn't be trying yeah, to pull a, a the older, trailer up the, up the hill. It, it'll work. The older in machines some cases. with the real low gears mm-hmm. usually don't have an issue. Like, and I've, you know, you've always got the guy that says, Oh, I've got the Kawasaki Prairie 350 dude, that thing will pull anything. It'll outdo your wheeler anywhere. And I'm like, <laughs> follow me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe I'll be impressed. Well, I can but, pick it up and carry it over a mud hole so I don't get stuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's that. <laughs> but the the bigger issue though that I've seen with it is trying to maneuver the rocks because right. you're longer at that point and you got to make sure that trailer will follow you in right, the path right. that you take or you have to adjust your path 
for right where that trailer is going to be so yeah no and i don't know even descending a hill i could see having trailer brakes on your wheeler being yeah. a nice thing <laughs> that would be nice <laughs> <laughs> maybe have to develop that too right yeah but um you know actually in the place i don't like a trailer the most is in the swampy country yeah oh yeah because it just no. bogs you down yep um and yeah, that's I get- where i pile everything on top mm-hmm. absolutely now one thing i've done is in the swampy country when i was riding around a trail mm-hmm. um this kind of goes with both the steep stuff and the nuts and and the and the swampy country is this story does is i was i came up to this tree and i've got a specially built bumper my dad and i welded up mm-hmm. and it's got several stages of steel two inch steel bars across that are like six a foot wide or something like that or maybe a little wider i don't remember how wide we made them but there's like three of them in there there's one down low that's back towards the frame mm-hmm. there's another one that sticks further out and is up higher and then another one just a little further than that. And the idea is the front one, first one will push it, push a tree over. The second one will push and it, it's kind of a progressive, like it's not hitting it real hard at the bottom to yep. begin with, but it kind of allows you to push stuff over, right? Which is great. And it works amazing. But I had hit a, uh, I had a tree that I pulled up against and the first bar pushed it over mm-hmm. like, you know, a couple inches and the second one was pushing on it. I remember how big the tree was and I thought, oh good, I can just roll over this and keep rolling this direction. You know, I'm in swampy country. This is black spruce, right? Yeah. Anyway, I, I and and I so I give it a little more throttle, and instead of pushing the tree over, it pushed my wheeler right up, <laughs> straight up, and I once again land on my rear end, on my back, looking up at my wheeler. You've done that quite a bit, haven't you? <laughs> at least twice, maybe three times. <laughs> yeah. Um. And anyway, my wheeler's standing up, just you know, on the rear. At that point, I guess we'd been on that rear rack mm-hmm. <laughs> against that tree, in which I then have to reach up and which I can barely reach the handlebars, put it in reverse and back it off the tree mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can get it out of there. <laughs> but, you know, I, I've done a lot of stuff on wheelers, risky stuff, crazy, steep stuff, steep country, muddy country, swampy country. Typically, I think people tend to not be as scared of steep country mm-hmm. as they are of swampy country. Right, yeah. Which is probably because you're not going to get stuck. Right, right, yeah. But swampy country is, a, or, or steep country is a lot more dangerous. It is, yeah. You know, swampy country is a lot more work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, Hey, a lot of guys ride a lot of that stuff and never have an issue, yep. you know, and they don't take the precautions I take, but you know, it's just, well, and, and I would say, you know, either one can have the potential to not be a very good time if, if you get stuck or if you roll or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think either one, either steep or swampy is something people should let get in the way of right. their destination. There definitely is a level of both that's too much. Right, yeah. And that's something, honestly, each person is going to have to figure out for themselves. Right. The one thing I'll say, and, and just to kind of wrap up, um, a lot of wheelers will do a lot more than you think they will. Yeah. Um, you know, you can look at some really swampy country or some really, you know, sketchy looking crit crossings or, you know, some mm-hmm. really steep stuff. And... You'd be amazed what a wheeler can do. Um, you know, I have, like I said, the King Quad uh, 500. And 500 is more than enough power to get me everywhere I've ever yeah. tried to get to. I usually recommend for folks, um, if they're getting a wheeler for a hunt, get a minimum of a 500. Right. And the big reason for that is it's enough power to get you up those hills. Mm-hmm. It's enough power to get you through those swamps. Carry the weight. It's got but a big frame on it. The thing I like about the, the 500s is... They're a lot lighter, I've noticed. Um, maybe not a lot lighter, but they're significantly easier to control, I think. Um, I've had a 750 before, and I will say the power difference between a 500 and a 750 is significant. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, it's a whole different feeling when you Your hit the throttle on that 750. Pro? 
No, it was a another King Quad. Oh, okay. Um, but you know, there's um there's people that think they need a thousand cc machine to get out into the Alaska wilderness. You don't. Um, 500 to 750 is really what mm-hmm. I would call the sweet spot. You're going to have plenty of power, plenty of maneuverability. And honestly, people don't talk about this a whole lot, but gas mileage is a thing yeah, with that, wheelers as well. That thing weighs just as much as my wheeler does. Your 500 my weighs 500 as much does? as my 750. Really? Yeah. No kidding. No, it, it is the full size frame. So, I mean, the, the. Yeah. Well, and that's what I like about the 500s is. Yeah. The, the, usually that's where you have the ground clearance. Right. And you've got the, I like the ground clearance on your wheeler a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got, and you've got a good strong frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should still have decent racks at that point. Yeah. A lot of the older, in a lot of the smaller 450s and 400s, you start to lose ground clearance. Oh, a ton. And, and frame. Yeah. Like strength and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. So, um, the thing people don't consider a lot with, with gas mileage is how far some of these trails go. I mean, yeah. I've been, you know, 20, 30 miles one direction yep. off a trail. And you look at your and gas gauge, you're like, ooh, it's <laughs> it says below half. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, you don't really think 20, 30 miles sounds very far in the terms of what most people think about gas miles, but we're thinking about it mostly in reference to what we all know the most, which is cars. When you're looking at a wheeler, you've only got, you know, four or five gallons of gas Usually in about there. five, yeah. And when you're ramping through swamp and you're going up steep stuff and you're you know you use a lot of that gas now that's one thing i love about that king quad and one reason i I recommend king quads to just about everybody is because the gas miles just seems to be phenomenal what do you get in a tank how Um, many miles usually like i don't know like i don't know like a solid number but i know that riding uh the pipeline but riding (laughs) or the the road i know there was a there was a trip i went on two years ago where i put oh how much did i put on there 150 miles on my wheeler and i think i burned through about seven gallons of gas Hmm. so because i had pretty easy trail uh, decently decently yeah there were some some swampy spots and some steep spots but i mean decently it was pretty good what i found with mine Um, is if i'm dealing with a lot of swamp or a lot of steep which is a lot of what i ride is just a lot mm -hmm. of that and i was riding with a guy it was actually dalton he had a 500 Mm -hmm. uh foreman at the time yeah and we were riding the same trail we rode in checked a bait then we decided hey let's go check this trail out never ridden it before let's go see where it goes we're heading in very steep lots of up and down yeah um so we checked the bait and we went and did that. And it was like 18 miles one way on that trail. And mm-hmm. we checked the bait. So that was a few miles. So we estimated we both got about 50 miles. Okay. And with really hard work mm-hmm. on both the wheelers, we both had about the same fuel mileage, hmm. which impressed me. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was driving a 500 and I was driving a 750. Right. Well, and that's one thing I like about the 750s is they have a, they do have that extent, that more power to them. Mm-hmm. But I haven't noticed that with those ones, the gas mileage really at, depletes that much. At least not at on all. the one I with have. With the yeah. 1,000s, things like that. Oh, I'm sure. Then you start getting into really bad gas mileage. Right. Um, if you go with 6x6 six six, rather than a 4x4, four four, now you're really talking about bad gas mileage. Um, it's just something to keep in mind. It's not anything that says that a 6x6, six six, because it gets bad gas mileage, yeah, is any no. worse. You just might have to pre-plan for that a little bit. Well, with bring a 6x6, six six, you got lots of room for an extra can of gas. <laughs> exactly. Well, and actually, when it comes to steep country, Oh. That's where the six by sixes are phenomenal. Oh, they shine because like crazy. you can climb straight up, straight down. As mm-hmm. long as you don't side hill too much, yep. straight up, straight down. 
all day long. Having that extra axle tons of ex- really You've got helps. tons of weight and not, you know, I know guys that that's all they run because mm-hmm. they hunt steep country. Yeah. I'm looking at getting one for that reason. Um, and just because of how it allows you to haul well, so much me, cargo. Talk to me afterwards. I know a guy who, he said, he goes, well, I'm going to go and check it out. Like see what my six by six is like in a swampy area, but I'm thinking about selling it because I just don't use it. Mm-hmm. So I'll, cool. I, I'll let you know about that. If right I, on. So the last thing to cover that I think as far as wheeler travel goes. At, at this point, yeah. Um, is making sure you are legal mm-hmm. to use your wheeler where you're going. Um, there's a lot of areas in Alaska that have seasonal motorized access right. and seasonal restrictions on motorized access. Um, and if you look in the regs, it's really easy to figure out which one's which. Um, so we're not going to baby you and tell you every single right. one. But make sure wherever you're planning to go, as you're planning your trip, you're making sure that you're allowed to take your machine there. Yeah. Um, because not only is, is there restrictions on whether you can or cannot have a machine there during certain times of year or not, there's other areas where uh, the state land ownership is split up between the actual state and federal agencies and things like that. BLM's a um, big one. BLM's a big one. And BLM has... I don't know if it's on all BLM land or just majority of it, but they're known for having weight restrictions on what vehicles you can bring in and which ones you can't. it's mostly established trail systems that they maintain mm-hmm. in those areas, like the White Mountains. Yeah, that's a big one. That, that's probably the most common one people know and, of. And most of the Wheeler Trails in the White Mountains, to my knowledge, are shut down in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and then they open up further, you know, they open up in, in the summer and they shut them down. You know, they say, well, it keeps the trails from getting too muddy and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I get it some, to, and the other rest of it's like, some of this is really rocky, hilly country and there would be an issue, but that's mm-hmm. what they do. It annoys me, but it is well, what it is. Well, I think a lot of that comes from people going off the trail um, because there's several trails back there that I know of that are very rocky. And if mm-hmm. you stay on them, you're fine. But you see a lot where people will veer off into that more tundra area, the softer stuff, and really tear it oh, up like and rip that, it even apart. It's like moose season, so. Right. But um, that's what the federal government thinks they need to do. They're also encroaching upon other laws and that Alaska has done a great job of running and they shouldn't be encroaching upon. But mm-hmm. it's related to hunting, so and it's, it's, okay it's, to, a, it's, and it's okay for me to talk about politics in that way. <laughs> well, it's amazing. So my, my wife used to work for DNR, and it, it's pretty funny how how much the state and the feds actually yeah. clash on, on land things specifically and like waterways and right. trails well, and whatnot. The, and it's the federal just, sheep closures. Right. Which yeah. is just, there's a sign. If you go up the hall road now, there's a sign that says attention sheep hunters, all federal mm-hmm. lands are closed to sheep hunting. And it's, you know, did they even consult the state and they, you know, who knows, maybe they did, but they didn't listen. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, let's shut this down. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, it, it's, it's a topic you'd have to look into a lot to make sure it's all well-informed. But I really, I think that my fear with that, and we won't get off into that too much, but just it's, if it is necessary, I'm for it. Yeah, but the state but if needs it's to not, do it. But I, that's what I was going to say, is the state needs to do it. And I think that we need to work on, on bringing those, those hunting rights back as soon as possible. Um, but a lot of it, with the with the wheeler access comes down to mm-hmm. people destroying habitat. I believe for birds is mostly what it's for. Um, there's birds that nest down there, and that's what they don't want you ripping up the tundra for and everything like that. Um, but the main thing to look into is your your machine's weight. So uh, make sure you know that. Make sure like if you bought it secondhand off somebody, make sure you're at least looking up what your your dry weight is right. for that machine. 
And if you are in BLM land, which all of the mapping systems these days are really good about showing you who owns the land you're going to be riding on, even if the trail goes from state-owned land into BLM land yeah. and then back out of BLM land into state-owned right. land, you could get in trouble for running on that back portion there. Um, so make sure you're checking most of the most of the trails that have those restrictions. If they're common trails, people ride on have signs, mm -hmm. and so you should know that way. But you can also go to BLM's website, I believe, and it has all that yeah. information on there. So most but, most of those weight restrictions apply mostly to anything bigger than a side by side. Mm -hmm. Most of them side by sides are fine. Yeah, like the weights over side by they just don't want guys back there with their jeeps and stuff like that. Right, tearing which it I kind of get. I really you know. I don't time. want them back there either. Yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> they make bigger ruts than my wheeler can handle. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, the other thing to keep in mind, folks, when you're out there on a wheeler is just, uh, you know, make sure you're looking up the state regs as mm -hmm. far as wheeler use for your hunt. Um, you know, make you're not allowed to harass animals with your wheeler. So right. by harass, we mean herd them around. That's you're right. not allowed yeah. to, you know, spook them out of wherever they're at with your wheeler and chase mm -hmm. them down until they're tired and then shoot them. Um, you're not allowed to, in, in some areas, you're not allowed to uh, pursue fleeing game on a motorized vehicle. I think that's in pretty much all areas. Yeah. Now, that one kind of depends. Um, and I'll just give my real varied interpretation of that real quick. What that means to me is you cannot actively chase a moose on your wheeler, right? Mm -hmm. What that does not mean is you cannot reposition yourself oh, sure. somewhere. Um, and so when you are, if you see the moose, you know, run into a different valley or something like that, you positioning yourself further down the trail, maybe closer to, to that valley, hilltop or running something. to a different hilltop yeah. is not considered chasing a fleeing animal. Right. Um, just sense. wanted to clarify yeah. that, but you're not allowed, like, it, let's say it's running straight down a, a logging road. You're not allowed, <laughs> you're not allowed to run your wheeler right up on it. Um, yeah. and then, uh, you know, just make sure that you are always within the legal bounds because. As long as everybody plays nicely and plays, you know, how it's supposed to be, at least ethically, we're not going to have any more restrictions come down on us, hopefully. And, uh, you know, that's really the important thing. Most of these added restrictions, as far as wheeler access goes, comes from people that are not being respectful to the trail, not being respectful to people. Mm -hmm. um, if there's hikers on the trail, make sure that you're not just throwing rooster tails at yeah. them with mud and things like that. Um, you know, just kind of throw back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode with just have a general attitude of respect for other people that right. are out there. We're all trying to enjoy the same land. We're all trying to have a good time. And uh, that's pretty much the extent of everything you need to know to ride a wheeler. I think so. So, um, uh, you know, real quick, just touch back in on the um, backcountry mechanic part. I mean, mm -hmm. that is kind of what the episode's about, sort of. Um, I've done a ton of work to my wheeler. Mm -hmm. uh, I've... There's a lot of work I've done. A lot of it's just maintenance. I re mentioned replacing the stator recently because it wasn't charging the battery. I rebuilt the front differential. I've done front shocks. I've, you know, bat several batteries at this point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, done oil, oil filter change. I've uh, front tie rods. Yeah, I'm, and there's more stuff I'm forgetting, I'm sure. You know, I've done brake mm -hmm. on it. I've done brake pads and stuff like that. And One big thing, though, with um, with all that, is, you know, I mentioned earlier, make, knowing the parts of your wheeler that are most likely to break, your belt, things like that, mm. having those tools, even in a small pouch that you can have with you while you're out there, that, if you're going to take anything away from all this, that's yeah. my my biggest thing. Like, I don't necessarily have that when I'm bear baiting, because I'm usually not more than a few miles from my truck, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not back in there necessarily running my wheeler super hard, mm -hmm. right? It's not, 
this it's not a life or death situation if I'm back there. I might have to hike back to the truck and grab some tools. It may really suck, but hey, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's when I'm back in the middle of nowhere, I try to have those tools with me. Yeah. And the more I'm back there, the more, you know, hey, I got a spare tie rod with me now too. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> and and if you like even, you know, a crescent wrench and a and a pair of channel locks can do a lot. Oh yeah. Um Yeah. Well, and it kind of throws into um like if you look at guys that hunt out of a boat, mm-hmm. a lot of those guys have all of that stuff with them. Yeah, but they're in a boat. <laughs> well, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah. So, you know, they have usually had some experience on that boat. Mm-hmm. They know what's likely to go wrong. Parts they maybe have had to replace before. And they'll have what they need to make sure that they can b- get back up the river when they're done. Right. Um, it's not much different with the wheeler. I mean, obviously you're not going to be carrying axles and stuff like that with you and you know crazy parts and components and most of them don't have spare tires or anything like that depends on how far you're going depends on how far you're going but having the the general stuff to to fix issues is i would agree so guys um this is a little bit of an odd ending because dalton normally does this segment but uh while you're on your hunt while you're on your hunt i'm pretty sure he stole that from me (laughs) but you know whatever we'll let you guys work that one out when he gets back But while you're on your hunt, make sure you are using products from our sponsors. That's right. Um, namely, Stealthy Hunter. Um, if you go to Stealthy Hunter's website, he's got a lot of great stuff over there. Uh, the glassing pad, the medical mm-hmm. kit, the scope and crown cover. We normally just call the rifle cover. Right. Um, but use promo code the Northern Hunter at the uh, checkout, and you'll That's get right. a nice, nice discount there. Make sure you protect your rifle from that mud you're slinging. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and make sure you are cutting your animals up with a Yukon River knife. That's right. Um, they have a lot of great options over there from the Hunter, Sendero, and uh, Green River Skinner, that all that things. Yeah. Um, really high quality knives. Really, I mean, they're probably some of the best knives I've had. Yeah. And uh, so, same thing. If you use the Northern Hunter discount code at checkout, you'll get a very hefty discount there as well. And uh, you'll never regret it. That's right. And then uh, you got Weatherby and Hammer mm-hmm. uh, when you're out there trying to get yourself into a spot. You know, even early baiting, a lot of guys don't take their bow and their rifle with them. I just can't help myself. I got to have a rifle <laughs> with me because if I see a bear on the hillside Yo. and I don't have a way to go get it, I am not going to be happy <laughs> with myself. I'm the same way. And, uh, you know, if, you know, I'm shooting lever action right now, which Weatherby doesn't make. Mm-hmm. But um, I am picking up a weatherby soon for the fall hunt and um, i've obviously got the hammer bullets in there yeah yeah hammer makes phenomenal bullets they're uh they're monolithic but they're they're designed for you know low impact expansion they're designed they have very good penetration they pretty much bridge the gap between bullet construction worlds in the past so definitely check them out and yeah i'm super excited to be shooting a weatherby here soon so i'm picking mine up in 30 minutes so (laughs) um and last but not least make sure when you are out baiting trapping or anything else where you need smell goods you are checking out baitum 907 that's right um we don't uh, we do have a discount code through them we have discount code tnhp at checkout we'll get you a discount on a lot of their stuff they have there and it's the most uh high quality smell yep. goods you can possibly buy that's right. so definitely check that out if you guys have any questions that we didn't get to in this episode about wheeling around or access into the back country mm-hmm. make sure you are going to our website got a nice contact us button there um we had some issues with it in the last couple of weeks but mo's fixed that so everything should be working now um and for the time being you can still hit us up on all of our socials we've got if you search at the northern hunter on either facebook or instagram 
we will get back to you as soon as we possibly can and possibly even add your question into a show. That's right. Uh, definitely leave us a five-star review if you liked us and uh, share this with your friends. Leave us uh, an actual written review too. Maybe let other people know why you like the show. Yeah. And uh, also just feel free to write in with comments or anything you think could help the show be better, could help uh, with what you guys are looking to learn and how we can provide good information for you guys. So until next time, get out there, get after it. Good luck. See you next week. All right, folks, we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA.